Nathan, thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate awesome. it. So, mm -hmm. I begin every podcast with a single question. Mm -hmm. Where were you born? Uh, I was born in Amarillo, Texas, out in good old West Texas, famous for our big steaks and Cadillacs in the ground. And it's meth. Wait, wait, Cadillacs in the ground. So, yes, could, you can't just go over something like that. What does that mean? So, out there, there is like an art installation where some millionaire just had a bunch of Cadillacs laying around and he decided, let's bury them. Let's stick them halfway through the ground. And he lined, I believe, like five of them out on the outskirts of Amarillo. And you can just go and it's free. You can go and graffiti all over the cars. Each one is come up to, to whoever, really. It's pretty cool. And do they paint it at any time to give people to, like, mm -hmm. you know, like, do they reset it so like you can come and just do fresh ink on it? Or I was wondering the same thing. Or do they add on top? I have no idea, honestly. From what I've seen, it's just layers on layer on layer. I've never thought about it, like people resetting it. Um, I know in 2020, they blacked it out for like the political stuff going on. And so if anything, that was a hard reset there. So but, was it like a homage to BLM or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. They, they were just kind of standing with them in a, in a sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, it was like a we're with you kind of thing. And so that's kind of cool. God. Yeah. So you growing up in Amarillo um how old are you i'm sorry i'm 26 years old so uh, almost 27 yeah. so all of your life in amarillo or at some point moving around yeah so i lived there from born and raised up until i turned 20 and then after that uh, my family and i we sold everything we quit our jobs and then we moved to europe for like six months and we came back and now we're in dfw and so i've been here for about uh six years so what caused the europe was it a vacation or was it meant to be like we're moving to Europe? It was like, uh, hey, life kind of sucks. Let's just quit everything and go enjoy life. Like we sold our house and like our cars and stuff. And we just go and we just went and lived for a little bit just to kind of, I guess, to give us a little hard reset, you know. But it was cool. Where did mm -hmm. you guys go in Europe? Uh, the first three months we lived in Spain uh, because we speak Spanish. So we figured that would be like the easiest kind of way to like adjust to their lifestyle over there. So the first three months was all Madrid. And we just kind of lived and like visited like neighboring cities, like the big touristy kind of spots. And then after that, we moved to Italy. Um, and that was like the remaining three months. And that was really cool. What part in Italy? Oh, it's called. Oh, my, uh, it's Cortana. Cortana. Yeah, Cortana. It's, uh, it's where the. Um, OK. The that movie with I think it's Diane Keaton or someone that's like the Tuscany sun under the Tuscan sun. That's what it is. She goes and resets her own life. My mom wanted to make sure that we lived in that town because that's where she went. And uh, yeah, was that part of living there? Because your mom had seen that film with Diane Keaton and wanted to live. Like I guess was the f the film inspiration for her in some way? I don't know. Actually, I should have asked her that. Probably, I'd be surprised. I know my mom got to study abroad in Spain when she was younger, and so that's always been like one of her dreams is to go back. And so that was just kind of like our way to do it all together. And are your parents, so you said you guys speak Spanish. Are your parents also from Texas or were they from mm. somewhere else and they moved to Texas? So my parents are from Mexico. They're both from Mexico and then they both moved to Amarillo and then they met there. And then here we are. What part of Mexico? Oof. That I, Oof. Uh, I can't. My mom is from Sinaloa, which is where El Chapo was from. Right. So she's dangerous. And then my dad is from, I believe, Chihuahua. So you're connected. Chihuahua also has some sort of a cartel presence there, if I'm not mistaken. Does it? So yeah, I think. I, 
Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be Mexican, but I don't know much about Mexico, man. I feel bad. There's like a family business we don't know about yet, huh? Yeah, that could be, man. <laughs> I don't go there enough. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's cool. So that was your parents met in Mexico or they met here? They met here. They met yeah, here they met and they here. both were like in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was How like super small or I guess small world, but yeah, just a small city in Amarillo or in Texas. Okay. Yeah. And siblings or? Um, yes, I have one younger brother. Same thing, born in Amarillo, then we all moved there. Uh, he is four years younger than me. And yeah, love that guy. What Shout does he out. do? He is doing his own real estate thing right now. He's crazy, man. I don't know. I've always been more into like the arts kind of side of things. And then he was like, nah, fuck that. I'm going to real estate. I'm going to go make money. And was comedy always your forte and business his forte? Or was it a different side of uh, the artistic or creative things that you started first with and then hmm. ventured into comedy i guess i've always been kind of been like into like the creative like arts kind of thing like growing up i played i was in band like i was in saxophone uh all throughout high school and college and then nick he was more into sports and like uh just hanging out with friends and stuff like that so it's always kind of been i guess kind of our paths at the same time to clarify nick is your younger brother oh yes sorry yeah. just wanted to make sure mm-hmm. okay so that makes sense and you play band saxophone Mm-hmm. How was that? Like, what was the, was there like a path that you were thinking of someday going into like the opera or an orchestra or like making it a career or was it just mm-hmm. enjoyment? So funny enough, it all started because of a girl. Um, always does. Always does, man. I was in fifth grade and this girl that I had a huge crush on, she was telling me that she was going to play the saxophone next year. And I was like, what are the odds? I am too. And I auditioned for the saxophone. I got it. I told her and she was like, I'm actually going to play the clarinet. Uh, so that derailed my whole plot. But I ended up sticking with saxophone. I ended up loving it. It's where I met all my friends in like junior high and stuff. And eventually, I think one of my dreams was to be like one of the guys playing like music for movies and stuff like that, like in the soundtracks and stuff when it's big and dramatic. Or like um, a Hans Zimmer kind of a person making yeah. just like those beautiful soundtracks that like for Gladiator and all mm-hmm. these other films, Batman and all the stuff he's worked on. Exactly, man. I wanted to be part of like that band or that orchestra. Did you ever um, think you might fall into composing the music yourself? See, uh... I wanted to, man, but that, like, creating something is just so mind-blowing to me, man. Like, uh, I, I couldn't do it. Like, um, I tried doing it here and there, but I just it wasn't for me. I was just more of, like, performance and just give me the sheet music and I'll make it happen. Yeah. So writing it was not the forte. Mm-mm. No, but I have huge respect for people that can do that, just creating anything out of thin air. It's insane, man. So do I, because you look at compositions, and for me, it's the same thing as looking at a foreign language, mm. which kind of makes you think, like, yeah, first they learned, which is musical notes, is a language in and of itself, and then somewhere along the line, they were like, but I can do it better. Dude, yeah, And exactly. they, they composed mm. you know, great works that we all appreciate. No, yeah, exactly. It's like, I just watched Air, that movie about, like, the whole Air Jordan thing. Had, how was it? I, it's on my list. I haven't gotten to it yet. It's the Matt mm. Damon one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. how was that? It's pretty good. It's cool because like, um, it's funny at times because it's like they're, they're showing like that there's an issue that they might not get Michael Jordan, but it's like, we, we already know what happens. You know what I mean? It's it's Air Jordan for a reason, you know? And uh, But it's really cool. They show you kind of like Nike's like rules for their like employees. And one of them is, um, oh shoot, I just went blank. Oh, like you're you're remembered for the rules you break. Uh, and so I was thinking like, cause in music there's rules, you know what I mean? Like, especially in the, be- in the beginning, but then there's people that break those rules and create even more better sounding music. You know what I mean? And 
that's kind of like the genesis of jazz music, right? Because mm-hmm. it broke almost all the rules. It didn't have cadence and it didn't follow the way music is supposed to kind of, there's a flow to it and it was almost the anti-flow. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, man. Did you play jazz saxophone or what was your saxophone kind of like, what was the music that really you fell in love with? I was, uh, I liked the fast beat kind of like, classical things one of my favorite play- pieces that i played was like a spanish kind of fast ballad um but i hate i don't know why i hated jazz i, I didn't really? like it yeah i couldn't do it i didn't like listening to it at the time to be honest i think it sprung from like there was an older kid in my class who uh all he played was jazz and he played it super loud super super loud and so i i think i got kind of like annoyed at jazz at that point um this is high school or junior high this is in uh, high school high school okay yeah yeah. he was a great player but he, he was loud and so it, like i think it just got to me there and uh, i think it's funny because i hate jazz and i really don't like musicals uh but i love la la land the movie i have not seen it really i have see not it. yeah like I, and nothing against musicals i like musicals like mm-hmm. I, I i watched rent when mm-hmm. it was on tv and i've watched um I've been to the Phantom of the Opera and I've been to other like, you know, music inspired kind of, I know the opera is a different genre, but I have been to also musicals too. Mm. And it's always been on my list. I just don't get around to it. I don't know why. Yeah, man, it's good. And I love both the actors, you know, they're Mm. uh, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're both amazing in it. It's from what I've heard. I can't remember his name's like Damien Chazelle or something like that. Yes. Yeah. I still got to watch Babylon, but I recommend it, man. Watch it. Especially we're out here chasing this podcast dream and this comedy dream. It's a movie for dreamers, man. I like it. It's so really cool. When did the transition go from saxophone and that creative world into trying other things and then possibly eventually comedy? Or how did we get mm, into comedy? That's, I don't know. I guess I've always really liked comedy and I always like making jokes with like my friends and stuff. Um, I don't really know. Honestly, I, I stopped playing saxophone a few years back. And um, was it always just for fun that you were playing or was there like um, work that was involved, like getting paid gigs or uh, trying? Because I know a lot of musicians, just like a lot of comedians, will work for free forever. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know how it works in the classical genres. Mm-hmm. I'm more like, you know, a rapper or a rock band, mm-hmm. pop music, you know, struggling uh, forever until you get there. I don't know how like these very structured kind of. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like an orchestra is very structured. There's a, right. a a group of people that have to follow a lot of rules for it to work cohesively. Mm-hmm. I think I was kind of like lazy in that aspect of like, I kind of realized that I wouldn't go too far with saxophone if I didn't like jazz. And so I was just like, whatever, man, I'll just put this aside and then go pursue a real degree. I think that's where it started. I changed because I, I went to college for music performance and then I decided to change to business, which was uh, it's fun, I guess. But uh I don't know, man. I think it was just the fact that I quit saxophone and I kind of missed doing something for fun. And and I've always really liked comedy. And I don't know. I think one day just kind of I told myself that I really wanted to do it. Like I gave myself a whole year. I turned 25 and I was like, I'm going to try comedy before I turn 26. And I literally like three days before my 26th birthday, I, I went up to some little dinky bar in Denton. I tried their open mic. And then here we are now, 10 months later. Was that what made you get up the first time? Kind of like setting that goal of within one year I need to be on the stage Mm -hmm. yeah and um I don't know not to get like sad or nothing I I lost a family member like in that year and like that kind of made me realize that like life is uh short like 
you never know what's going to happen. And so I was like, let's just go live life. Let's just go try out this adventure. And if we fail, we fail. If not, we had fun doing it. So who was a family member? Uh, she was, uh, it was a cousin and my aunt. Uh, we lost him to a drunk driver. So don't do that if you're watching. But uh, yeah, that happened around Christmas time. And so I still, I was like, okay, it's time to like live life and, you know, like enjoy it while we can, I guess. I mean, my condolences and I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, yeah. Thank you. But it seems like maybe that was like a little bit of a push. Oh, yeah. Like, okay, don't waste the time that you have because you don't have any control over it. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing that sucks about like things like that where a person passes away or persons pass away without any real cause. It's just like a drunk driver. Exactly. And you're just like, you had no way of doing anything to mitigate that. Exactly, man. It's just kind of, it just puts it in all perspective. It's just kind of like... It, it, it makes you more grateful to like just be alive even if we're kind of stuck in a shitty job or something it's like hey you know what we're here you know let's make the most of it while we're here but yeah it definitely pushed me a little bit okay uh, mm. sorry to get sad on you on but yeah oh no i'm the one who brought it up i'm sorry if anything <laughs> I, I think it's important to bring it up because part of this is your journey and mm-hmm. what it, w- there's always going to be, I, I feel like there's going to be an underlying theme. I've only done, you'll be seven, episode seven, but so far there's uh, like 80% have some sort of traumatic experience or a ton of them that have kind of shaped them into the comedians that they are. Mm, okay. And I, I feel like yours is no different. There's like this happened and it made you really like push yourself into like, okay, I got to try it. Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've always... Every time I, like, listen to other, like, comedians on, like, their podcasts and stuff, that's what they talk about is, like, trauma. Like, um, that's what shapes comics and stuff like that. And to be honest, I kind of get, like, a little bit of imposter syndrome with that because growing up, my childhood was fine. It's just, it's just that that happened, and uh, that's what kind of pushed me, you know? I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't go down the path of having imposter syndrome because there are others that are really good comedians. Mm-hmm. A couple of people that I've actually had the pleasure of sitting down and speaking to who don't have, I think the problem that we may find is that you're looking for a specific traumatic event that didn't happen to you, like the shitty childhood or the abuse of a parent or the lack of a parent. And that doesn't mean you don't have your version of traumatic events that kind of shaped you to be who you are. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I know why you, I mean, at least I can guess why you might think you have imposter syndrome. But I think it, you may probably have imposter syndrome because you're funny. Mm-hmm. And you're like, why am I funny? Oh, I guess. I, you I know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. You don't need the trauma uh, that horrifying to be really funny. Mm-hmm. And you're probably going like, but why am I funny then? Mm-hmm. And it's like, maybe you just are. Cool. I guess <laughs> why not? You know, yeah, you get yeah. to be funny. I guess I feel bad. I, I'm more so being like, I guess it's not like there's like a checklist. It's like, did you have trauma growing up? All right, well, then you can't be a comic. Sorry, man. You know, I guess it's just. I don't know. I always hear about that and I feel bad or I don't know. It's it's silly, but I, I, I get what you're saying. I bet. I think uh, like one of the famous examples of that, Chris D'Elia, mm-hmm. current comedian who's oh, yeah. humongous, but he speaks about it openly. He's like, I had a great childhood. He's like, mm-hmm. nothing shitty happened to me. Like nobody tried to do this. Nobody did that. I was like, it's cool. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's like other things that he's not willing to share oh. that did occur mm-hmm. that are equally as traumatic for him. Like the worst day of your life is the worst day of your life. Right. You know what I mean? That's and true. it's not my quote, it's somebody else's quote and it makes a lot of sense. It's like 
no matter how you look at it, I can't compare the worst day of my life to yours. It's mm-hmm. equally as bad because it's from your point of view. Right. That's true, yeah. Dang. I always think of uh, the Simpsons movie when, like, Homer Simpson, when you'd say, like, this is the worst day of my life, and he'd come in and be like, the worst day of your life so far, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be okay, you know? I think um, the f- there's, like, a quote from a movie. A lot of people don't know it. It was a, uh, called Pool Hall Junkies. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. Nothing major. It was fun. It was a good movie. I liked it. Um, but there's this one line in there that says, every day is a good day. Try missing one once. Mm. Okay. You know, like, it's trying to tell you, like, the day you can't wake up is the day you die. Mm-hmm. So, like, every day that you're alive is a good day. It's kind of like the uh, approach to it. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think, like, that is the... I'm, just trying to lose, I'm losing my train of thought here. Mm-hmm. But I think that's kind of, like, what I was getting to is where, you know... You can have um, different outlooks on the way life is kind of what cards you're dealt. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you still have a life, right? It's right. better than not having it. It's kind of what made you go up on stage is two people that you cared about no longer being there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no, exactly, man. It's just, it's crazy. And I've, I haven't looked back since. I loved It's It's only been 10 months. It's crazy. But ever since I started, it's been great. Do you remember the first joke? The first that joke. place in Denton that you were talking about? <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah. Um, I talked about being Mexican. I said, um, oh, what did I say? Which is great because, like, uh, you know, when a person looks at you, you don't look Mexican right. in, in the traditional sense, mm-hmm. right? Like, so because you have lighter complexion and mm-hmm. Nathan is your first name. So, oh, like, yeah. there's this whole fun aspect to that. I get it. It's mm-hmm. cool. Exactly, yeah. And that's, um, I talked about being Mexican and that's what it is that I said. I, I know I don't look like it, but trust me, like, I'm a great swimmer. <laughs> super racist. And I was saying, like, I promise you that's true. When I was, a, like, years ago, I entered a like, swimming competition with a thousand competitors, and I won. I said, uh, nine months later, I was born. And that was my first joke that I went up there. And I remember just seeing this guy on the table being like, <laughs> that's just fun. bombed, dude. It was, I uh, don't know why you bombed, because, like, it's maybe, okay. Here's yeah. another thing that other comedians always talk about is it's the timing that's also important. Mm-hmm. And I really doubt like the first time on a stage, you know how to time and deliver the punchline. Right. Because like the way you did it now, we both got a good chuckle out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there's a, a funny aspect to it. The swimming is really funny. And then saying you're born nine months later just makes it 10 times funnier. Mm. I think that's a killer joke. Thank you. No, yeah. I, yeah. The four people, it was like a tiny, tiny crowd and the four people there did not think so. And probably exactly like a delivery and stuff like that. And I, I'm horrible at public speaking. Like even when I played saxophone, I tied all back. I would get super shaky. I would hate playing in front of people. And then when I would do speeches in classes, I, I was the same exact thing. And so I was probably nervous as I was just up there shaking like crazy. And oh, I don't know, man. But So yeah, you had man. a fear of public speaking, but you still got up on stage and then continued afterwards. What made oh, you, yeah. even though you say you bombed, mm-hmm. what made you want to continue? I got one chuckle. I got one laugh and I was like, all right, I can do this. Like, it was, I got one guy to laugh. I was like, okay, I can just keep on trying. And it's weird. It's like, um, I, I like being good at whatever it is that I'm doing. You know what I mean? So it's like, when I tried comedy, I've always liked making jokes. And I have like this weird little feeling like I'm going to be okay at this, you know? Okay. And so I just told myself, like, I'm not going to try it one time, have a bad set. I'm like, I'm going to at least keep trying until like I feel comfortable. And I'm still chasing that, but I don't know. It's been, yeah, just I, that one laugh. I got, I got me. I mean, you got more than one laugh the other night when I got to see you. 
I think you. Like, did. Granted, it was a Wednesday night, and mm-hmm. I think Wednesday night is just you're working out. You you know, it's not prime time. You know, none of us are the Friday night crowd where mm-hmm. you've paid a lot of money to be there or you've planned like blocked out. It's a Wednesday night. You've got like some stragglers and you've got comedians and people like me that were just like randomly out of trying to find someone for a podcast. Mm-hmm. But like you got laughs. And I remember, I think we even talked about the joke you did. And I won't say it not to ruin it because I know you're still working on it. But mm-hmm. I was like, dude, there's a lot there. Like dig into it and see what you find. Because mm-hmm. it was funny. And I was like, okay, I hope he has time to continue. Is it the the real estate one, right? Or was it? Yeah, it, the, the list. Okay. Yes. Yeah, the list. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Dude, I still I still think about it and chuckle. Okay. Good. I was Thank just like, you. that shit's funny. Yeah, man, that's one of the new ones that I was like, okay, just I'm trying to iron it out, man. Every time I go somewhere, it's just exactly like you said. It's like there's something there, but just I don't know, man. It's I, fun. I think that's the whole point of a Wednesday night, man. You're just mm-hmm. there to work it out, like. Yeah, do I get a chuckle from the four random people that are still sitting here? Because yeah. <laughs> it like ended up being that. It was just like six heads there, not counting the comedians. There was more comedians mm-hmm. than there was actual people. And one dude was just a dick, by the way. Really? Yeah, he just kept messing with everybody. I, I don't know if he eventually left or something, but like he was just, he was louder than the comedians at one point. And I was like, dude, shut up. Like, fucking leave people alone. They're working shit out. Oh, yeah, man. And I remember this Wednesday night, that was like my first actual time performing at so, so I was I was nervous, man, and I rushed through my set. I'm trying to think. Was he towards the back or where? So if you're staged looking at the crowd, it would mm-hmm. be to your left towards the back. Okay. I you know who that. I'm talking about? It was like this one dude. And he was an, I think so. He was like an older guy, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, he thought he was funnier than the people there. And at some point, it, like if yeah. it wasn't rude, I was going to be like, Dude, why don't you get up on the stage and see if you can make us laugh, please? Right, exactly. That's always there's always something like that here and there. And because um, like there was some good, there were some killers in that crowd. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a couple of really good comedians that I love and love seeing them perform, and a couple of them that are scheduled to come on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And the ones that weren't killing that I still found were funny were were like the ones that were, I can genuinely tell there's a spark of inspiration, and there's something there. So mm-hmm. to that, where does the spark come from? Oh, um, like as in like when I write jokes or so like how is your like what is your process for coming up with material or how do you do you write jokes? What, what is mm-hmm. the what is Nathan's way of going from nothing to I can probably try to pr- try this out tonight? Um, I guess it really depends. Like um, lately, I, I'm glad that I'm still so like new because I'm kind of figuring stuff out. Like if I have if I'm having a conversation with friends and then a joke comes up, I'll think, oh, like could that be a bit? Like how could I make this a bit? Or um, some of my jokes are based off of billboards that I saw on the way to work, and I was like, oh, hey, that's funny. Like maybe I'll write something about that. I tried doing the whole, let me type this out on Word and see if I can think of something. Oh, sorry, I hit the mic. Now you're good. Um, but that didn't work. I realized that like um, it's better just to either talk it out with a friend, or if I'm sitting home alone, just nothing to do i'll walk around and i'll just kind of talk to it about it like myself and um and yeah so like talking about it with a friend is it usually a comedian friend yes so like i don't know um do you do you and chandler kind of like hang out and do things like that we try to so chandler and i we all live in the same like area so we carpool a lot by the way shout out to valencia he kind of turned me on to you that's why i came out wednesday night he's like dude nathan's gonna be there come check him out and a couple other people was like i'm there no awesome man so like Thanks, Chandler. Yeah, thank you, Chandler. 
Appreciate you, man. Yeah. Yeah, him. Uh, Kenny Coes. Kenny Coes is who I, I think would, him and I, we, we hang out a lot, and he's who I riff. Him and I riff off a lot. Like, um, Is your style similar? Is that why? Or are yes. you polar opposites? Um, I think our style is kind of similar. I do a little more, like, stuff about, like, race and, like, wordplay. He does a little more of, like, the kind of, I don't know if I should, like, not shock humor, but it's kind of, like, just, like, weird left field kind of stuff. Um, dark or? Not too dark, but it's flirting with that line. Okay. Like, um, no, I won't say one of his jokes, but, yeah, but I like him a lot. You, you have the right to or not to? I, <laughs> I don't know if I would ever try. <laughs> um. No, so yeah. you guys just kind of like, you might be driving down, I don't know, whatever, one of the freeways here, and then you see a billboard for something, and you're like, mm -hmm. okay, there's funny in this. Yeah. Like, I'll just I'll talk about one. Like, I, I drive down 35 every day. Okay. And I see, I look up, and I saw a billboard with Smokey the Bear on it, except he was, like, ripped. And I was like. I've seen that one. That's weird. Yeah. I was like, when did, when did he get hot, you know? And so, like, I made a whole bit off of that, like, and. And I, I want people to see that and be like, oh, shit, like, is that what that guy saw? Or, like, you know, like, something every day to be like, that's what he was talking about. Yeah, because Smokey's roided out. Yeah, he's huge. <laughs> he looks like he's been hanging out with that Liver King dude. <laughs> exactly, man, yeah. I can, that's definitely, okay. Mm. So that kind of stuff kind of inspires you a little bit, and then you try to kind of work things out and to yourself, mm -hmm. to a friend. How long does it usually take? Let's say Yogi. How long would it take from only you can prevent forest fires to something on the stage that you're going to mess with? Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, with, with, um, with Smokey, with him, he was one of those. I, I just bought a whiteboard, and I was like, I'm going to use it. And now I was just, like, writing down everything that I thought of when it came to bear-related, like, like Build-A-Bear, eating honey, or, like, fighting forest fires. Maybe that's how he got ripped. And I was just trying to think of anything bear-related, and I was like, how can I tie this into being hot? Uh, what is he like just little things like that and so I think that one took a couple of months because I was trying to like riff on why he got buff and then I was trying to riff on what would happen if he found you like leaving a wildfire and none of that worked and so it's just kind of like playing with different little options but yeah I was trying to tell you like no that that I can kind of I'm imagining you just like standing in a room with a whiteboard and mm -hmm. for some reason it says Smokey the Bear, hot. And then there's like a line down the middle of trying to figure out where the funny is. I, I just that mental projection was hilarious. That's to me. exactly it, man. And I look like a crazy person, man. Just I look <laughs> like Charlie Day and when he's got all that build with that stuff next to him. But uh, yeah, man. You remember have you seen the Big Bang Theory? I've seen some of them. So some like episodes. in a few episodes, Sheldon goes all out crazy and there's like whiteboards all over the apartment. I just mm -hmm. kind of like imagine stuff like that. Just like huge whiteboards with like Dude, if different I had a huge jokes whiteboard? that you're working on. <laughs> That's the toughest part is when I think of a new one, I have to erase the other things. I'm like, damn it, man. Like, I wanna, if I could have a huge whiteboard, oh, man, I would I would love it. Dude. You know you can paint a wall, right? Yeah, I live in an apartment right now, and I don't really uh, I don't really want to mess with it too much. But I'm about to move to a house, so. Okay. Maybe there. I'm excited, man. But what? How, like, how did that come about? What's so that? outside of comedy, do you, mm -hmm. do you work? Do you do mm -hmm. stuff? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I just what do you do? I just <laughs> like whiteboards and just like all day sharpies. <laughs> I just look at whiteboards all day. No, uh, I um, I work. I, I'm in marketing right now. I work for a little marketing firm. I work for my dad. Okay. Um, and then what kind of marketing do you guys do? 
We do a lot of, um, so if a Hispanic business wants to get it into more of like the general market or vice versa, we help them kind of cross that bridge to where like we can either translate their website, translate their products, or like just build them a whole new website and kind of help them market more towards a broader audience. And so okay. I'm pretty much a glorified graphic designer right now. I do a lot of website building and a lot of uh, graphic designing. And uh, yeah, it's cool. Seems interesting. Yeah, it's fun. Um, kind of going back to it all, like creating stuff, like designing little artworks and stuff. Sometimes I feel like I wish I didn't do it because I want to bring that creative energy to like to comedy. You know what I mean? And even if it is just like designing a social media post, a lot of thought goes into that. And so it's like um, I don't know. Lately, with comedy, with my job and all that, it's like I've gotten a lot more like respect for artists, like in just that whole kind of side of the world, I guess. But yeah, I, do you do? You, are you thinking that because you're putting so much time into the graphic design world that like some of your creative energy is being depleted? Is, is there like a is that what your thought is? Sometimes, yeah. Or is it just being tired? It's being tired. All right. Because there's been times at work where I'm supposed to be working, but then I think of like a joke, and I like I, I have a notebook at work to where I can jot down like little quick joke ideas, and then I hope no one none of my coworkers find it because there's some there's some bad stuff in there, but. Mainly, it's just laziness. So, to that effect, is there stuff that you come up with that you feel like is not you, or is just too far off the deep end that you kind of don't use and just put into like that notebook where it stays? Mm-hmm. Um, like the smoky go too far. Is there like a love entanglement that happens? No, <laughs> nothing like that. I think the farthest that one, the farthest that one went is like the way it. To kill a fire is if you cut off oxygen supply. Yeah. And so I was like, that's what we're going to do to you kids if you don't, like, we're going to cut off your oxygen supply. And that was, like, the darkest thing that I said with that and it never got laughs or nothing. So I was like, all right, moving on, you know. And so I think that's the funnest thing is, like, with, like, stand-up. Where have you tried that? Ooh. I don't know. Like, a couple of random mics. Because it's all DFW? Not all DFW. Maybe no. just two or three. I gave it, like, two or three chances. And I'm like, if it doesn't work the third, then... No, because I feel like that's the type of joke that might kill on the coast. On the coast? Oh, because over there they actually deal with that stuff? Or? It's just uh, New York especially. Like My wife and I love New York, so when we go, we try to check out comedy clubs. Mm-hmm. And Gotham is one of my favorite spots in New York City. Mm-hmm. You'll see a lot, of, a lot darker humor in New York, in Chicago, in Los Angeles than you will in Dallas. I specifically remember the night you were performing, there was another guy... Um, he went into incest stuff. Oh, okay. You don't do that in Dallas. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wrong crowd. So I was talking about Oklahoma or something. Not even, Sorry. no. I mean, but like you do, I know where you're coming from with that. Like, mm-hmm. But you do that in the West Coast because people have that stupid uh, ideology of people from the South or uh, mm-hmm. the Deep South and all. And some of it may be true, but like for them, it's funny because they need reaffirmation to think that this is real. Right. But here where we live, we're just like, no, sorry, dude. No. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the no. crowd, I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but like, I feel like no, don't be sorry. there's yeah. jokes that you can do here mm-hmm. that'll murder, that will never work on the West coast right? or on the East coast. You know, That's like cool. there's a lot of comedians that know conservative stuff and like, you know, how to tap into kind of like christian jokes let's say mm-hmm. we're on the west coast they'll just be like but we don't understand what the what that means because oh, okay. they're so out of touch with certain things and so in touch with other things mm-hmm. it's just know your audience i guess oh, that makes sense um 
you go to New York a lot? I we I did a lot more prior to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't gone as much as I'd like to post pandemic because a lot of things changed in our life. We mm-hmm. moved to Texas and just kind of like restarting everything. Been twice since. Um, doesn't have the same feeling it used to. Something, really? Something's really changed about New York City for me. Oh, wow. And it's unfortunate because it was my favorite place on earth. Mm-hmm. Would you move there? Up until the pandemic, I'll be honest with you, it was a thought my wife and I had of the ultimate goal was to move to New York, live in Manhattan with our kids. Mm-hmm. Now that goal is when they go to college, we can move to Manhattan and mm-hmm. live there and enjoy our life. Mm-hmm. But I don't. We didn't want to raise. We don't want to raise our kids there. So has it gotten like gone for the worse in that yeah. case? Oh really? It's just gotten way worse. Oh wow. Dang. And I- if you're an adult, it's fine. It's just I don't want to expose kids oh, to things kids. like that. Yeah, yeah. No, especially. Yeah, at their age too. Makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but yeah, love New York City. Have you been? Been once. I really want to go back. It's an awesome place. Mm-hmm. And if you can kind of like put together a five minute set and get a bunch of your buddies together that are comedians and go do like a week there and try to do open mics, mm-hmm. you'll get a feel for a completely different crowd. Really? Very, oh, very cool. different crowds in New York. Dang. And it, because they're like, Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles will forever go down as, and Boston, as the kind of like the birthplaces of some of the greatest comedians and some of the best comedy clubs. So like their barometer for funny is much higher. Right. So if you get a laugh here, you may not over there. Mm -hmm. Austin's quickly becoming like the fourth hub. Right. Because so much talent moved over there. It's just, it's, you can't deny it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Especially with old Joe Rogan and like all those other big comics moving there. Like Tom, Christina, like all those guys. And it's crazy, man. And it's it's weird to think that it's just like right there too. But um, which, which is it, it, that's the kind of an interesting thing of like if you're a comedian in Dallas, mm-hmm. you have this unique opportunity before you go into the shark den, which is Austin now, because like you said, everybody's there. Mm-hmm. You can work out here, and if you start killing here, you'll murder in Austin. I promise you that. Mm-hmm. Harder crowds here. Austin crowd is. F- more liberal, liberal, more young, mm-hmm. and they're open to comedy because they're s- exposed to a ton of it on a regular yeah. basis. Here, it's a treat. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, it's like it's a treat when a big comedian comes through Dallas. Yeah, really. I'm excited. I get to go see uh, David Tell here in a couple, or maybe in a week, I think. I'm, I can't wait for that, man. I, I love David Tell. He's, I'm surprised. He, he's like Mount Rushmore level of comedian because he's just the best mm-hmm. his i don't care attitude about it is the best part about david Tully. yeah he, he'll stand there couldn't give less of a shit what you think about him he's just gonna read his jokes and leave exactly man and that's what i i want to see him when he started I, i'm sure if i dig enough into like youtube and stuff i'll find some clips but like when he fr- i want to see like the big big comics when they first first started you know what i mean like i think that'd be a cool deep dive i mean so I've seen Robin Williams, like, really old stuff, mm-hmm. like, 80s, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, when he's working out in San Francisco and, like, you know, full head of hair. And, like, this is really young Robin Williams, like, your age Robin Williams. So, like, oh, wow. it exists. You can find uh, all the old works of your favorite comedians. Mm-hmm. They, oh, they're, exactly, they're out man. there. That's awesome. Is there a comedian that inspired you to kind of pursue comedy? Ooh. Um... I think the first comic that I saw, like, ever, ever, was uh, Dane Cook. I saw him on TV. Uh, my cousin loved him, so we watched it. Uh, I didn't think much of it. I just thought he was a funny guy. And then my first special that I actually, like, chose to watch was Aziz Ansari. 
and he i liked him a lot a lot i watched all three of his it was like buried alive and i can't think of the other ones um i think the one that pushed me the most though was mark normand because with him he's just some quiet dude who has funny jokes and he just says one line at a time he's not this big energetic guy and i was like so if someone like that can do it then maybe it like there's a niche for it you know what i mean and i don't know i've always thought of comedy as like a I'm loud, this is funny, blah, energy, you know? And I'm not like that at all. Are you familiar with Stephen Wright? No, uh, I'm getting into him now, like this whole airplane bit and all that stuff. So Stephen Wright is, will go down as one of my favorite comedians of all time. Mm -hmm. He's the king of Mm one-liners. And my favorite one-line of his, and everybody's got their own, but my favorite one-line is, he says, I came home drunk once. And this is like probably mid-80s or 90s when he did this joke. Mm-hmm. And he says, I came home drunk one time and I put my car keys into my house. So I drove around the block a few times mm-hmm. and then a cop pulled me over. <laughs> it, it, the, I can't do it any justice. It's so mm-hmm. old that I don't think he would mind that I butchered his joke. <laughs> but Mark Norman and like Stephen Wright, and they, they, there's so few of them that can do exactly what you just said. Be very kind of like calm and... Mm-hmm. almost even reserved in the way they deliver their joke mm-hmm. but it's undeniable how funny it is because of the way they are yeah exactly man i know with uh with steven what he said was like his jokes had to have like logic like if you if they didn't have logic within the jokes like you wouldn't say it and so those are my favorite comics to where like you have to listen and it's, yes and um i try to do that sometimes with my jokes it's like you have to like listen and then i stop talking they're like wait what did he say and then it's like oh that that's what the joke is and i don't know those are my favorite kinds so for you right now who's your favorite and um, i know it's a hard thing to say but mm-hmm. no right now i would say mark norman honestly uh, he i got to see him at the addison improv one time and i got a picture with him i don't know man he's just He's hilarious. He's hilarious. There's no, one, there's no denying him. But like, yeah. so favorite. But like, beyond him, is there others that kind of inspire you, or you're like, because I know, just like any other creative thing, it takes time to get your own voice. So mm-hmm. a lot of us begin just like, even me as a, you know, just trying to do a podcast. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of people that are inspiration to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it will be more mine and more my voice, mm-hmm. and it'll just be unique to me. But right now, I can, I can almost see some of the things that i'm copying from others mm-hmm. but trying to put my own flair on it oh, do yeah. you see that in kind of the comedy world because you're 10 months into it mm-hmm. uh i would say yeah like a lot of my oh so mark he's like an inspiration other than that i would say like tony hinchcliffe i got to see him live and he was mind-blowing dude it's like i like how he's mean he roasts and like the jokes that he says are good they're not just dark they're not to take you out, I don't know, you know, like, I can't believe you said that, it's just like, it's dark, and it's funny, you know, and, where'd you see Tony? Uh, the Edison Improv as well, oh, yeah, that one's nice. becoming one of my favorite, uh, my favorite clubs, so there's only two clubs that I go to when I'm trying to check out talent, mm-hmm. Hyenas, and Addison Improv, mm-hmm. I don't know if, I've never been to Dial- Dallas Comedy Club, and I know there's the Fort Worth Hyenas, and mm-hmm. there's a bunch of little places, but I feel like, those are the two big main clubs in Dallas area. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? The Dallas area, yeah, I would say. Um, no, I'd say you're right. Like the Hyenas and the Edison Improv. There is a uh, the Comedy Arena out in McKinney. They have a really big open mic on Monday nights. Um, if you're looking for talent, there's that place is always jam packed. Um, Fort Worth Hyenas, 
honestly, it's really good as well. Like, I really like a lot of the Fort Worth comics, but because, like, I'm usually in Dallas, I, that's where that laziness comes in, and I don't really want to drive to Fort Worth, but... Um, so, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I don't know. You're, so, I try to do a few comedians that are open micers, mm-hmm. and then a few comedians that are a couple of years into it. Mm-hmm. So, like, Cheyenne was my first guest, and he's been doing it for, you know, I think six or seven years now, and... Mm-hmm. So I like, like the reason I like that is because I get completely different perspectives. Oh, okay. Like my last guest, Derek, uh, Derek Cakley, he's been doing it for a lot longer than everybody else. So like a seasoned vet versus open micers versus people that are not headlining yet, but that are hosting or that are kind of like number two or the number three of a headliner. So mm-hmm. I, I want to keep a mix because I think at some point just hoping somebody will watch this and be like, I want to be a comedian and like kind of have a, a roadmap, a blueprint of like things to try and the way other people get inspiration and what their story is. Oh yeah, no, exactly. I think that's honestly, it's really cool to see that. Like, like Derek, I think I saw that he was in, he's over like 10 years in now, right? I think 13 or something. Yeah. Oh, he's wow. a yeah. Lot, many years into it. Yeah. So exactly, man. That's awesome. And, mm-hmm. and Derek's an interesting guy. Cause like he's already in his forties and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, He's had a life outside of comedy longer than he has had one in comedy. You know what I mean? Like he's had a much, uh, he's had an adult life longer outside of comedy than in comedy. Mm. And it's interesting to get his perspective on things because he comes from it from a completely different side of the world. Right. Yeah. I think it's the same with, uh, so he started like when he was in his thirties in that case or I think so. Yeah. Cause he's in like his mid forties now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same with, I think, uh, Rodney Dangerfield. I know he started real late in his his life, and I think stuff like that. I think it's just cool. It's like it's just what makes you you. You know what I mean? It's what gives you your voice and like all those experiences you've had leading up to it. Which is so interesting to me. The guys that start in their thirties versus the guys that start in their like late teens, early twenties. Because like when you're eighteen to whatever twenty something, responsibilities aren't the same. Mm-hmm. When you're in your thirties and your forties, it's different. Right. But like to be out there doing open mics and like hustling like everybody else. It's very interesting to me, like, how come that call is, that yearning for, you know, trying something is so big that you do it in your 40s and right. stuff. I wonder if it's just, like, that drive yeah. of, like, you're just tired of life or something. It's just, like, I need something new or, who knows, man. It's interesting. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. It's just one of those things that, like, you contemplate once in a while. Like, yeah. what makes a guy in their 30s? Because I'm in my late 30s, you know, mm. and I just barely started a podcast. So, like, I think of the same thing to myself. I'm like, Why? Why do you, do you do this? Do you have an answer? Um, of all of the things that I've done in my life outside of my family, nothing has made me happier. Smart. I'm glad you put in the family in there. They, oh, they can't hold you back. Because the thing is, I feel like I preface that because a lot of people will be like, you know, what a dick. He didn't talk, say his family first. But like, when are people going to understand? Like, your family is supposed to be sacred. Right. It's never supposed to even be in the damn conversation. Mm-hmm. There isn't my family first and then this second and then this third. No, no. They don't even need to be on a list ever. Mm-hmm. That's the way I look at my family. They mm-hmm. are never on a list for me because they're sacred. Right. I don't put sacred things on a list. Oh, okay. So I for like me, that. the thing that's made me the happiest is mm-hmm. this. Because nice. I get to do something that I didn't know I would love, but I really like it. Like mm-hmm. if I don't get more followers or nothing happens with this i'll continue to do this because i just really like it nice man it's fun for me Mm. and i feel like maybe that's the inspiration for someone in their 30s like myself to go and get on that stage although i would never do that really you ever tried it i've 
so I've never tried it. I even took a, a class on like how to learn how to you know write a joke and stand up. Com- um, so I lived in California for a long time, and oh, wow. I live really close to a place called Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank. Flappers, I think I've heard people talking it's about that. It's famous. It's been yeah. there forever. Flappers is a famous comedy club. Um, you know, big names work out there. Like Jay mm-hmm. Leno will pop in all the time. Oh, Seinfeld wow. pops in all the time because they just kind of live in the vicinity, mm-hmm. and they maybe don't want to drive. Because he, here in Dallas, we're kind of, we don't know what traffic actually is. Really? People in LA will tell you what real traffic looks like. Oh, man. Because here, okay, if you're going from, doesn't matter where to doesn't matter where, traffic adds 15 minutes usually. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Usually. Right. In LA, doesn't matter where you're going, traffic adds hours. Really? Genuinely. No way. Genuinely. Traveling 20 to 30 miles could add mm. an hour to your drive. Jesus. Easily. We don't know what that is here. Yeah, it, it, no. it doesn't exist. We have traffic, but nothing as bad as that, honestly. Mm. Dang, man. So I did not know that. Flappers was like this local place in Burbank, which is just like a suburb of L.A., and mm. really famous people would drop in to work there because Burbank also had a bunch of the movie studios back then, and they shot like uh, late-night shows and stuff all in that area. Mm-hmm. So kind of like the history of Burbank for those that don't know. That's why Flappers Comedy is famous because people would like go to The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and then just pop into flop, uh, Flappers at some point to do a set because they're oh. just like so close. It's like right there. Yeah, they don't want to go all the way down to the comedy store because it's Friday and it's really busy oh, to get there. Okay. That was it. So they, it became a convenience thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I took a class there because they were like doing a beginner's open mic, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I never actually went out on the stage. I just was curious more of the process, but I've always been interested, mm-hmm. but maybe more of as a this type of a thing. I'd like to just kind of yeah, sit man. down, talk to you guys, get to know what you're all about, and that's more interesting to me than being on that stage. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's I feel cool. like everybody should figure out what they're good at. Yeah, that's cool, I don't know man. if I'm good at this, but I'll try. Hey, man, you're doing it. And honestly... So I'm honored to be the first person on the on the new set, by the way. Yeah, congratulations, by the way. You, thank you, you. You are the first person on this set. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody else was kind of in an office environment. It mm-hmm. actually was. It was an office in my old house. So oh, nice. this is more of a studio setup. Yeah, I like it a lot, man. You got the whole wall of fame here, too. Yeah, so people won't see it in this episode, unfortunately, because oh, my dang. third camera is not working yet. Mm-hmm. But I promise by episode eight, you'll able to see the studio but i've also posted on instagram um yeah nathan's talking about is an homage to some of my favorite comedians and there's mm-hmm. six of them on that list it's lewis black eddie izzard robin williams george carlin stephen wright and eddie murphy they mm-hmm. are some of my favorite it's a great wall seriously man it's cool and then you got all the cool books too but seriously yeah that. thank you for having me on the on the new set man yeah no i was um i was scrambling to get everything done today because mm-hmm. i was like i have a, a person coming in and i wanted the sound to sound be good and everything so in the last couple of days i had my audio engineer come and do a whole sound check with me that's why wow. he made me put up all the panels and everything so mm-hmm. it sounds better and then uh my podcast producer came in yesterday and framed up all the cameras for me and that's when we figured out that the lens on my third camera was not working properly so uh, it'll okay. be replaced tomorrow what's your your producer's name her name is reagan oh. reagan Thank you, Reagan. Thank you, Reagan. And what about the audio producer? So audio producer is Corey Park. Thank you, Corey. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Uh, I did a shout-out to both of them on IG yesterday when I took a picture of this. Uh, But, yeah, they 
they played a big role in this mm-hmm. sounding good and it looking good. Yeah, and seriously. I like this part of it, sitting down and talking, but when it comes down to the technical aspect of it, I've never been good at that stuff. Dude, same. I can't frame a camera or get audio to work properly to save my life. Even though I understand all of it, Mm -hmm. I just don't have the hearing. Like even Corey was here yesterday sitting down and he's like, you hear that echo? You hear that echo? I'm like, I can't. (laughs) I can't discern it. And he would do things to make it sound better. He's like, you see the difference? I'm like, no. But I'm like, for the one guy that might listen that has your ear, I want him not to have that problem or her not to have that problem. Oh, exactly. I guess that's like, I don't know. Uh, That's why I wanted to have the two people that the audio and the producing of the actual frames to be good because i want it to look good you want it to look good exactly it's your this is your other baby yeah Um, very much so this is like baby number four (laughs) (laughs) no yeah man this stuff is stuff like this it's crazy like i don't think people realize like podcasting isn't just buy a microphone buy a laptop good to go it's like there's so much to it man it's literally just like you were just describing all that stuff and so i mean it doesn't have to be so hard because mm-hmm. I know phones have gotten so advanced that, you know, you can shoot a podcast on an iP- iPhone, no mm-hmm. problem, without audio and stuff. You could do it. But if you want to, it's like it's not just a thing that I'm throwing together just to do. It's mm-hmm. a hobby. It's a passion. There's, there's, I love all of this stuff. You know, like I love buying the lights and setting it all up and kind of looking at the camera and like, oh, this looks cool to me because mm-hmm. For a good two weeks, I would come into this room dead empty, nothing in it. And I just couldn't figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out how I wanted the layout to look. And it wasn't until I thought about putting these pictures, because I remembered most comedy clubs that you walk into usually have pictures like this, headshots of the comedians on the wall. It kind of had that. And I was like, okay, this is a starting point. And then it all threw itself together right after that. But... It was weird. It took me two weeks to kind of figure out what I wanted to do with it. Nice, man. I was just like, I was like looking at a blank canvas going like, I have no idea. Hey, man, well, just so you know, it looks great. I need whiteboards like this. <laughs> yeah, man. All right. Yeah, Instead of favorite. hot bear, it's like good looking studio, <laughs> bad looking studio, and you just like start putting <laughs> shit down. Exactly, man. Uh, back to that point. So first time on stage, dinky place in Denton, mm-hmm. and... How long does that go on until you do like a couple of minutes or you have a few minutes of material? Because I know in the beginning, it's usually open mics to give you like a minute, two minutes, maybe. Right. It's like, you got to figure out how, how much you can do and what you have going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The first place I feel bad. I call it dinky, but I do like it. It's a shout out to Bearded Monk. It's a nice little brewery in Denton. And um, never mentioned it. (laughs) would have never known <laughs> but thanks uh, let's just monk. bleep that never mind <laughs> okay no yeah but um when i when i got there i wanted to make sure that i had like at least like maybe five jokes or like six jokes written out that i wanted to go up on stage and they gave me five minutes and uh i did maybe three if anything and um i don't know i, I remember i asked one comic there i was like hey that was just that was my first time like do you have any notes like blah, blah blah he said just fill out your time as much as you can and talk louder that has been like everyone that talks to me is like you need to talk louder you need to project more and uh, i'm trying man but it's tough um but it took me maybe like a couple weeks to get like an actual five minutes and even then it was just scraping the barrel with anything i could think of but 
Yeah. Of that original five minutes, is anything still around or has anything progressed and actually part of a five minute has become its own five minute because you've been able to kind of like dig into it and uh, expand upon a topic? I have one joke about like having uh, getting two black eyes. And that one was one of my first ones. And is that a real joke? Like, did it actually happen to you? No. Ah. Because no. that's a whole. I wanted to ask about that. Oh, okay. really? Yeah. No. That's that's all. Is is a joke, and uh, that's one of my favorite jokes. Like, I remember when I thought of that, I was like, okay, I'm gonna keep this one, and I, I've loved it ever since. That's one of my jokes that I like telling. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. So what's the joke? That's, um, I mean, you can't just like come on. I didn't know unless you want to save it, it for something. So I don't care. it's up to you. It's your kind of your art. You can mm -hmm. choose to express it and share it or not. It's really up to you. No, I'll say it. It's just um, I say that I'm learning that things that happen to you as a kid they do affect you in the future. So I say that I got into one fight, and that one fight left me with two black eyes, and ever since then, like I can't stop looking at thick white bitches, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> It's so stupid, and it's like, I don't know, man. I like saying it just to see, like, the reactions, and, like, uh, I don't know, man. A lot of my stuff is kind of racy, and I like that, and some people might not. But. It took me a minute to actually connect the dots, but when I did, I instantly, no, it's good. <laughs> no, 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 it's, 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 it's fucking hilarious, it's, dude. I love those, like, like That's an jokes. awesome opener or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, growing up as a kid, and you go into that, and you're like, mm -hmm. that would be hilarious. Yeah, exactly, yeah. No, that's cool, that's... And does that you think that's going to expand into something else, or is that kind of just like a one-liner, or is that mm -hmm. your is that what the kind of comedy that you're going for, like the Mark Dorman, Stephen Wright thing, like one-liners that don't necessarily have to kind of tie into each other? Sometimes, like, uh, one-liners are hard. That's um, I agree. That's one of those where if you're going to do one-liners, you have to do one-liners like a lot. Um, that one I'm trying to build upon to where like I would. I don't want to like, I guess I'm trying to scare the crowd to where like I say I get chased by chickens. Now I hate chickens. Um, then I fell down a ladder. Now I hate heights. And then I say I get jumped by two black dudes. And so I th I like to think that the crowd's like, oh my God, he's going to say he hates black, black people. people. But I'm like, no, now I can't stop looking at the white pitches. And so like, I like to scare the crowd a little bit. And I want to like learn how to like expand on more stuff, especially as time goes. On Wednesday, I I uh, I was supposed to do 10 minutes, but I only did like uh, eight. And I credit that because I thought I had like, I rehearsed that in my room multiple times and I thought I had more time and uh, I ended up speaking too fast. And I guess I just kind of went through it all. And so if anything, that just kind of reiterated to like expand my jokes. And if I'm going to do one-liners and I have to have a lot more, I don't know if that answered your question or not. I don't know, but kind of went on a tangent there. No, no, no. It completely answered the question. It, you, you're still kind of working out the way you want to assemble your uh, five minutes and then into a 10, 30, and an hour eventually when you've just got that much material. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's fun. So it could be a mix of one-liners and some stories and things like that. Because mm -hmm. what I feel like is a lot of comedians, they'll go into what will become a narrative. Uh, it, it's really funny. You love the entire thing, but there's a narrative behind the entire thing. Like Eddie mm -hmm. does that, right? Because if you've seen Delirious or Raw, there's an entire theme behind the entire the the entirety of his set has a theme. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of other comedians, or actually a lack of comedians nowadays, have multiple themes that just don't have a cohesive story behind it. They're just kind of mm -hmm. like jumping around and making a lot of different funny things. Mm -hmm. It exists, but like less of. Yeah. So. Yeah, so on that point exactly, like, 
that I tried making it like one continuous kind of story. Like I kind of built it off. This joke has to go after this joke because then it's going to kind of build up for this joke. And then um, at, on Wednesday night, when I realized that like I did my whole set and I didn't have anything afterwards and I still had time to, to fill, that's when I kind of like, I panicked. I was like, oh, like I can't really base it off of one continuous long thing unless I have this thing like down, you know what I mean? And so I'm kind of learning from that. And I think maybe you've got the 10 minutes, but you were maybe in your bedroom or when you're practicing waiting for a, a laugh to maybe extend two or three seconds more than it would. Mm-hmm. And I think it was there in a bigger crowd. Mm-hmm. It's just you didn't have the big crowd that night. It, it, it's unfortunate, but groupthink is a big dynamic of it. Yeah, That's why like you can notice comedian. And I always ask to sit in the back because I want to be with the comedians. Mm-hmm. I like their ambiance is more fun. Those are the critics right there. And I, I know like they would all laugh. I would laugh with them a lot louder than everybody else. It's not that everybody was murdering to that effect, but it was like we recognize that there's a lot of funny here. Mm-hmm. And if you laugh loud enough, you get people to kind of like get into the group think of let's laugh together. Right. And kind of get the crowd going. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if someone like starts slap, uh, slapping their hands together on a wave forms at a baseball game, it's oh, kind of like right. that whole dynamic. Exactly. Uh, so in a bigger crowd, I think y- it would have probably gotten the reaction you wanted at the times that you wanted Hopefully. and the 10 minutes would have been filled yeah man and that's what that's what's demoralizing sometimes is you'll say the same jokes in front of different crowds and sometimes those jokes will land and sometimes they just get silenced and you're like oh damn like is this joke garbage after all or uh, i don't know man and i think it happens to the best comedians though mm, it doesn't oh, matter yeah. who you are i think it's it's the aura of the of the room too it, it, oh, there, yeah. there's like a vibe you know, I, I don't know how to explain it, but like when you walk into a comedy club, you get a vibe from the crowd that's there. Mm-hmm. Like if you walk into a comedy club 10 minutes before it's about to start and it's loud, that's mm-hmm. a cool vibe. Right. People are excited to be there. They're talking. They're enjoying themselves. But if you walk in and it's all murmurs and stuff and you're like, it's just like it's not there. Right. Exactly. And a lot of times the opener can get it up there or the second act or something. But. Sometimes they fall short. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just get a shitty crowd, dude. I've been kidding. to so many clubs where you're just sitting there and you're watching and you're like, you guys are like, it's almost like being deliberately dicks. Yeah, like they don't want to, yeah. they're not going to make me laugh. You like know, they, like, it's yeah. funny. They know it's inherently funny, but like as a group, they're just like, let's be an asshole. Let's see what happens tonight. Oh, man. I've seen that like yeah. firsthand and I'm like, what are you doing? And it's been like really funny people. I won't na- name who they are. And mm-hmm. it's like stuff from... I've seen them work it out and I know that other crowds have died mm-hmm. laughing like, you know, chuckles to the point you're like, Oh my God, stop. But here it's not working because you just got a bunch of assholes. Right. So no, at some yeah, point man. you got to chuck it up to that dude. Like if people yeah. have laughed before and these people don't, maybe it's these people, mm-hmm. but if nobody's ever laughed before, then probably your joke's shitty. You know maybe what I mean? You got to change the joke a little bit. Yeah, no, exactly. I man. think it's the same thing with this. It's like, if nobody ends up watching it and nobody cares, then mm-hmm. you're doing something wrong, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got to learn from it. I think that's one thing is how someone takes criticism. Like, that's what like, makes or break people. I um, think the best of anything is people that have been able to take criticism oh, yeah. and use it as fuel to better themselves versus fuel to deepen their sorrow and hate. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Um, when I was studying graphic design, I had this art teacher who never never gave me criticism man and it was one of those weird kind of lessons where that's where i realized like how important criticism is like 
I wanted him to tell me like, hey, you're doing this wrong or hey, you're doing this right, you know, but he never did. And ever since then, I've always thought of him like I've realized how important feedback is, you know, even if it's negative, like that's how we learn. Do you think the current climate of colleges and universities are in a state that people are afraid to give criticism because they think it might be Mm -hmm. turned against them? Maybe. Um, I think people, a lot of people are just like afraid of conflict in general. And I think um, there's like a nice way of giving criticism. You know what I mean? Like as long as you're not like a dick and just being like, no, you're shit at what you do. Which is sad because proper conflict is necessary for a fulfilled life, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, no. Because if you avoid conflict your entire life, then you've never lived a life worth living. Right. Oh, At yeah. some point, you're going to piss somebody off. Mm-hmm. I have. I'm sure you have. Oh, like, yeah. It's got to happen. Oh, yeah. Trust me. Yeah. I think it's like it actually kind of strengthen, like, strengthens friendships, too, man. Like, if you can overcome a fight and you're like, that just pro- shows that you like you want it. You know what I mean? It's not just... Nothing. Real friendships are based upon being able to call each other out on mm-hmm. our worst mm-hmm. and even being able to verbally just cuss each other out and not talk for a day or two. But real friends are the ones that will calm down and be like, dude, he was right. Right. I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And you'll call him and be like, sorry, dude, mm-hmm. I fucked up. Exactly. And that's yeah. normal. Exactly. We're all human. Because man. you've grown. Mm-hmm. next time that conflict happens you know you and your buddy can cuss each other out and just get really angry and then figure out which one of you was the moron in that situation but right. it's the same thing as like i think um warriors that practice before the war mm-hmm. it, it's mental toughness like you f- screw up less right because mm-hmm. now you've got somebody that will call you out mm-hmm. no exactly man and i think you've probably found that with a few of your friends in the comedy world That'll tell yeah. you, hey, but this is dog shit. Don't even try. Yeah, yeah. If you get called a hack, like that's my biggest fear is getting called a hack. And so uh, thankfully, Kenny, he's like, no, you're, that's hacky, dude. Don't do that joke. I'm like, all right, thank you, man. You know what's hacky? And I don't care who says anything about this now. What is it? Stop doing COVID jokes. COVID jokes. So <laughs> sick and tired of this bullshit, dude. And Trump impressions. I'm I've left the comedy club because of that shit. Really? Yeah. Enough. Yeah. Seriously, enough, dude. Like it does not exist mm-hmm. at all in anybody's radar except for a few people that give a shit right talk to them (laughs) yeah do you think a covid joke would do better here or new york it would do better in new york because over there it impacted them hard right it still is that's the problem it still is because the ramification of two years of putting people on a leash essentially Mm -hmm. It's going to take a long time to recover from because what alcoholism went up by like a thousand percent and drug use went up by like God knows what percent. And none of these things have calmed down, Mm -hmm. but the world is saying, hey, let's get back to normal. So people are clinging to this whole, no, why don't we still have a pandemic? Because it was awesome. I got to sit in my ass at my house. Mm -hmm. Amazon dropped off alcohol and food and I chilled. Right. People love that shit. I was jealous, man. My my life did not change at all during COVID. Honestly, I was an essential. I was what is it? An essential employee. Essential worker. Yeah. I was an essential What'd worker. You do? I was a a bank teller. Yeah. I worked at 
No, 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 it doesn't matter what. Plus, you were in Texas, right? Oh, yeah. The COVID stopped three months after it started for you folks. It was real done. It was for the rest of us that were in the coastal states, Mm -hmm. West Coast and East Coast, especially, dude, we dealt with that forever. Yeah, no. I mean, I visit LA once in a while. People still wear masks. Yeah, really? Dumbfounded. Yeah. Sitting in a car by yourself wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I would hear like horror stories. Horror stories. I would hear stories of like, People just yelling at you for not wearing a mask, even if you're outside and blah, oh, yeah. blah, blah, Like, You know yeah. how many times I've gotten yelled at in California because I didn't have a mask on? And so, I was yeah. so outside walking with my kids. Mm-hmm. And, and people would yell. This isn't like 2020, dude. This is already like 2021. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Where we have enough information to know that like if you're outside, you're good. Right. You're you're fine, dude. Like you're you're almost impossible to transmit if you're outside. Like it's not as scary as we think anymore. Like we have a better grasp on it now. At that point, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it was like remember tail end of 2020, they started to kind of like ease up on it because they wanted Christmas sales and stuff to happen, and then really quickly in 2021 they realized they got spikes and stuff which really didn't mean much of anything it was just spikes that were going to happen because it was the holidays and right. people mingled and they saw that coming too they were it's, forecasting it like crazy. yeah but they kind of changed the rules at that point because they were like look if you're outside because like outdoor dining became normal in right. california and it wasn't for a long time they're like six feet apart yada yada have fun if you're doing a party outside it could be more than six people now together mm-hmm. so the rules had significantly eased up we were still in like draconian bullshit rules but still right all the time dude like you're walking outside in the suburbs it's not even like main i'm not in highland park downtown like highland park village where there's like a thousand people or something you're in like a suburb Mm -hmm. like you can be in denton or Louisville, whatever you want to you know pick your suburb and Mm -hmm. you're just walking around the block with your kids because you can't stay in the house anymore it's insanity yeah it's been 10 months enough right even though during the 10 months you know I didn't stay inside. I was part of the essential worker crew, just like you were. And mm-hmm. I never had a day off during COVID. Didn't want to, but it was hilarious because for the first time in my entire life, there was no traffic in California. Dude, that must have been amazing. Driving anywhere was 15 minutes. Wow. It was a dream come true for those of us that had to work for those two years in California. Mm-hmm no traffic to speak of like you get off of whatever you're doing at five o'clock you're home at 5 20 mm-hmm. which would take two and a half hours let's say if it's friday mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like oh cool i still <laughs> have a life and that's what's it's like sad to say but, sometimes but you guys never like, dealt with that which is yeah i was interested in that because you were here during the whole thing mm-hmm. how was covid even as an essential worker like how long after it the whole covid stuff started that texas kind of went back to being or dallas went back to being dallas um, see, I was in Denton for Close during enough. the beginning and that's like a small college town. I, I do think of UNC as like pretty liberal. Um, were you in school at the time? Yes. But the thing is I was only taking online classes because of my schedule. Okay. So literally my day to day life didn't change at all other than I had to wear a mask when I went to like grocery stores or anything like that. And, um, I still have like a paper from the bank that I worked at. It said, uh, cause they didn't know what to expect. And it says this person is an essential employee he is scheduled to work 40 hours a week like in case i got pulled over by the cops for being outside or something like that and it was like signed and everything it was was crazy but um i think i remember 
it was kind of strict for a little bit, but I think when we got that freeze here, that first freeze, and then... I remember that. Everybody was talking about it for like a week. You guys had no mm -hmm. power, no water. Yeah. There was like a lot of stuff going bad. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that kind of like melted over the those kind of guidelines of like, hey, you know what? This is a even bigger, more now kind of problem. And then... Not to get political, but like the whole BLM Why thing not? too. Like um, those protests, those protests were happening. So people were in the parks marching alongside with everybody with the masks. And I think it's just kind of like other things happened in like that day. And it was just kind of like, fuck it. Let's just focus on this now instead of COVID. It's been 10 months. Who cares? I mean, to the effect of BLM, I remember when the protests were happening and I think it was m the middle of the pandemic too, or like the beginning of the pandemic. And I drove through Beverly Hills mm. and that's the equivalent of the park cities oh, for, okay. for Los Angeles, like very high end, you know, high end shops and all this stuff. Is that ro where Rodeo is? Exactly. Okay. Rodeo drive is there. The Beverly Hills hotel, the pretty store. much like, well, Comedy Store isn't technically Beverly Hills. It's uh, West Hollywood, I think, oh, okay. Okay. which is also a very nice affluent, but uh, new money versus old money. Think of it that uh, way. Okay. Okay. So gotcha. like, I'm sure there's the Texas equivalent for it or Dallas equivalent, which mm -hmm. I'm not sure what it is yet. Honestly, yeah, here that the area where you live is kind of, you see, you go down one block, whole different thing. Like I was amazed by driving where you are. Not to give, <laughs> by the way, his address is. Uh <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Sorry, but continue on. No, no, no. <laughs> so, yeah, Park Cities, for anybody that cares. Mm. Um, I don't care. Nobody will ever find me. I'm not big <laughs> enough. Plus, I have guns. Good, Fuck good. off. This is you Texas. You here, folks. This is Texas, dude. My son and I went to classes and got training and learned yeah. the proper stuff, and mm. my wife took classes. So, like, that's awesome. you know, whatever. Like, yeah, no, it makes you feel safe. It's good. It does. Yeah. So, I, I'm not worried about that at all. But... Um, when I went down to Beverly Hills the day that they kind of locked everything down mm -hmm. and it was so sad that I couldn't take a photograph of it, but it was all of these beautiful hotels and high end shops were boarded up because they had all the glass was broken. Yep. There was police everywhere. It almost looked like when they show stuff of the Ukraine now. Oh, wow. It kind of looked like that. It looked like yeah. the post-war zone where it's mm -hmm. like shit was blown up and they just covered up with, with you know wooden planks mm -hmm. and there's police everywhere. And it's not like the regular cops. They've got ARs and stuff. They're in SWAT uniforms because they know what's coming. Mm -hmm. And they know at this point the governor doesn't let them do shit. Mm. Leave them alone. Let them have fun. It's you know civil disobedience, blah, 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 wow. whatever. They're let it go. It was sad because uh, yeah. in that moment, and this was still 2020, and in that moment, I was like, there goes a the place I grew up in because wow. this is the most high-end part of Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and it's already gone to shit. Yeah. I can only imagine what's happening in the worst neighborhoods to the worst neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, the suburbs were okay because nobody gave a shit about the suburbs, to be honest. There's nothing there. Mm -hmm. But, like, all of Los Angeles was, like, burning at one point. Wow. And I'm sure everybody saw it because, like, I forgot that yeah. every single news outlet kept us on 24 7 mm -hmm. talking about the hell that is California. Right. Yeah, see, that's complete circle here. I was trying to make a joke about Smokey the Bear being at California. That's why he's ripped. He came <laughs> back, just all those forest fires never worked. But, which that, that was a, its own set of like 
apocalyptic mm-hmm. imagination when we saw the fires. Dude, yeah, the pictures that I saw. Oh, my God. Pic- forget the pictures. I was in my buddy's house in Granada Hills, mm-hmm. which was just like a hill away. And you could, from his back patio, see just red mountains you could see everywhere. It? Everywhere. Wow. It was that close. Was it there? Who, it was what just, place had the orange skies like at one point? Because was it Australia or was it? Was it? So California's had orange skies. At, oh, okay. uh, previous fires. I don't know if this one, the the not the last one, but the one before that, the really bad one. Mm-hmm. I think it was, again, pandemic or pre-pandemic, like something close to that time range. That one had like the, the orange sky everywhere. Yeah. Because that okay. one burned for a while. Yeah. And, it, and I remember... Like two years after that, we got some rain that was unexpected in California. And then there was like a super bloom that happened. Like just beautiful flowers everywhere covering these mountains. Mm -hmm. It was the most gorgeous thing you would ever see. Because it was just like fields of beautiful colors going down these waves of mountains. Mm -hmm. And it was just because the the burning made the soil super rich. Uh, okay. I I guess there's like a process that happens. And Mm -hmm. then the rain just kind of like re-fertilized everything. And you got these gorgeous blooms of flowers. Dang. Yeah, it was crazy. It was called the Super Bloom. You can even look it up. There's mm-hmm. photos of it everywhere. People traveled for that. Really? Yeah, they oh, came wow. to California to see the Super Bloom. And now are they, are they gone because of the new fires? Or no, I mean, now it's just covered with grass and stuff oh, like okay. that. Um, yeah, I forgot you guys had those like big riots over there in L.A. for a bit. They were Because L.A.'s had there. many riots. Right. So like, if you look at the history of L.A., there was the L.A. riots. There was the Watt riots. There was the Rodney King riots. There's been riots. After mm-hmm. riots, after riots. Like, then we did BLM. Then when Nipsey Hussle got killed, there was riots that happened because of that. Wow. It's uh, California is a very different place. Right. And it will always be, hopefully, a different place. Mm-hmm. It's always been this really cool, like, the entire state almost feels like an art commune. Oh, okay. Where this is why so much crazy is also mixed into it. Mm-hmm. Because there's a level of crazy that goes with being an artist. Oh, yeah. You have to admit it. Because your mind works very different from everybody else's. Mm-hmm. You saw Smokey the Bear. All of us saw it. Nobody thought funny. You were like, let's get this bitch on a board. Right. <laughs> you know I what guess, I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. That's the fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why California has been the mecca of like artistic creativity. Not just Hollywood, mm-hmm. but musicians have gone there. Uh, writers have gone there. All of these people that have spent so much of their careers in california is because of its weirdness right it's a uh, it's la la land you know? yes exactly it no longer is though unfortunately dang man so la and new york just... i hate to break it to everybody but you don't go to la to pursue your dreams anymore right. that's done it's dead but think about it as a comedian too do you even care about having a late night show one day or do you care mm. more about having a really successful comedy career and a bunch of side hustles that will make you very profitable and successful in a podcast you can start or right. write a book or whatever it is because yeah. that playbook has changed. Right. There's so many different like channels. It's just, yeah, like people talk about like late night TV is no longer what it used to be. Like, well, if you who made watches it, on it? Yeah. It's still like a big feat, but it, I don't really know, man. Uh, I was thinking about that the other day. I think my only like really dream is to like, if I can do this for a living, I'm set. Like that's... That's what I want to do. I don't want to use my degree, even though I spent a long time getting it. Hey, welcome to the club. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We all have degrees. So yours was what? Business and finance? It was in marketing. Marketing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm using it, but I'm trying not to use it for too long. I did communications. You did communications? Mass communications. Hey, my right. degree. Here we are. Is this, uh, does this fall into this category? It does. Okay. Um, although they never taught me any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I do respect what I did learn from college, which is what I think most people don't take away from college, is the ability to think critically for yourself. Ooh, okay. That is the main thing I took away from college is how do I weed out the bullshit? Mm-hmm. Because a ton of shit in college is bullshit, dude. I'm sorry. All right. No, thousand percent, man. And especially in like a, a, a more of an artistic form or, or the liberal arts category where communications falls into. It's mm-hmm. not a BS. Like it's not a science degree. Technically, it's more of like an art. Uh, an art degree, a mm-hmm. BA. So, you know, like finance falls into that, engineering falls into the BS side of the science side of the world, like, you know, very stringent kind of rules in place. And you fall into these stupid ass classes that have, they're just part of your prerequisite, but you right. disagree completely with the whole thing. And you're just like, you're the problem. Oh, I see what you mean. Like when you take those classes, that's when you're like, it's, that's where the critical. Because there's two things you can take from school. Mm-hmm. Either wholeheartedly accept everything that is fed to you and just become another cog in the machine, which is what they want. Mm-hmm. Or take all of that information that is fed to you and say, I can do this differently and better. Ooh, yeah. This is where only where you get the innovators and the people that we talk about. The rule breakers. Millions of people graduate college. We're part of this list of people that have graduated college. Mm-hmm. But only a few certain ones make an impact in the scientific community, in the arts community in the analytical community in the literature community whatever the the field of study where your degree is housed mm. there's only a few that actually make a change and it's almost always the ones that question everything oh okay it's never the ones that conform because right. conformity does not innovate exactly exactly man. so that's the one thing i learned is like don't conform don't don't accept anything on face value mm-hmm. do your own investigation be critical yeah man that's what I think uh, with with my degree, it was I, I promised my dad. My dad made me promise him that I would get my degree. But honestly, like I was just looking at the g- degree as like a like one obstacle. I was like, okay, let me just get this over with, and then I can really pursue what I want to do. You know what I mean? And it's like again, welcome to the club. And I yeah. think uh, a lot of us that have degrees that collect dust mm-hmm. somewhere did it to appease or satisfy. A parental desire or a societal desire to just be like let me get through like you said this obstacle so i can actually do what i want to do yeah man exactly try what i want to try but at the end of the day it's also good to have that degree mm-hmm. because i promise you the way you think is different because you spent those four years in college because you were exposed oh, yeah. to different you went to which uh, college unt unt yes so you were exposed to a bunch of different people a bunch of mm-hmm. different ideas in and out of the classroom right oh yeah no i've nothing but love for my college experience funny enough the only thing that i didn't like was like studying marketing and i've learned a lot about marketing thankfully but like i took a philosophy class i've learned so much from that class it was my favorite one like that's what kind of made me think about like just different perspectives and stuff like that i took a is it astrology that's the which one which one is the study of like the star patterns and not oh, sorry which one's the the sagittarius and all that fun stuff so astrology is that's, that one astronomy is the study of the cosmos like the stars and stuff okay that's an actual science astrology is whatever yahoo or whatever <laughs> website is telling you that yeah. some th- although like 
who knows mm -hmm. you know what like not to dismiss anybody and what they find solace and comfort in right. sure you know if, that's your if, thing that's your thing Go if random ass numbers make you have a good or a bad day because mm -hmm. the stars are in retrograde because like i always go back to the same thing of like astrology would make sense to me if you counted all the goddamn stars good luck with that because you stars. know there's so many that we can't figure it out at this point apparently there's more stars than there is grains of sand in here yeah thank you to mr uh, dr tyson I have his books in hey, there too. Hey, hey. Oh yeah, but yeah, nice. that's that, that's one of the, the the greatest things that I've ever encountered as far as like to explain to us the complexity of the everything and how small we are in that complexity. No, mm -hmm. oh, exactly, man. But why we have such big ass egos, bro? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what the hell compels someone to get up on a stage and think I can command a bunch of people? Yeah, at my whim. And a few of you, honestly, like if you think about it, eight, nine billion people, there's probably, a, what, 10,000 comedians trying right now and maybe a thousand really good comedians. Right. Is that like a fairish estimate maybe? Maybe even more. Who knows, man? There's so many people. Let's say 10,000 good and 50,000 trying it out. Yeah, I'll do that. That's still such a like, tiny decimal <laughs> point in what is the world population. Total population. Yeah, and it man. is really a mainly American kind of a thing. Right. We are the kings of comedy. Like entertainment and all that fun stuff. Like arts. I, I think entertainment-wise, Bollywood kicks our ass because Ooh. the amount of stuff they churn out on a regular basis and the viewership that they have kills Hollywood mm -hmm. all the time. We just don't want to recognize it, but comedy is a very much... Maybe it's... I don't know if the genesis is America, but like it seems like we do it better than anybody else in the world. Right. The Brits yeah. are cool. There's a oh, yeah. the, like Eddie yeah, Izzard's yeah. on that list because he's a British comedian. He's really funny. See, I don't recognize. I was gonna ask about this guy. Uh, Eddie Izzard, he's hilarious comedian. Uh, my favorite stand-up special he did is Dress to Kill. Dress to Kill. Check it out. It's hilarious. Um, a lot of it is for that time period relevant, and some of it is British related, mm -hmm. but it's. Uh, one of my favorite comedy specials in the world and why he holds a special place for me is he showed me that comedy doesn't have to follow a specific playbook. No, oh, okay. Because he does it in a very different way. And I don't want to ruin it. Just when you get to see Eddie Izzard, you'll see what I mean when I say he does it different. Different style? Yeah. Okay. So that's why he's one of my favorites. That's cool. I definitely got to look him up. I'm trying to watch more, more comedy. I'm, it's a weird thing. I want to watch more comedy so I can kind of like learn from it, but I also don't want to watch more comedy and then like base my stuff off of what I see. That's a question I was going to ask you. Do you ever fear that you are doing someone else's joke, even though you were the one that came up with it? Like you've never heard anybody else do it, but is there something in the back of your mind that goes like, is somebody bigger than me doing this? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, What's it called? I recently, I have this joke where I compare Mexicans to being like AI technology. And Louis C.K. tweeted that like a couple weeks later when I was doing the jokes and I was pissed, man. Like now it just looks like I just read his tweet and I was like, okay, now I'm doing that joke, you know? And it's, there's examples where like comics here, um, one of the comics, Cody Swindell, he added a joke. He had a joke where it was almost word for word parallel to Nate Bargatze. And he didn't steal it. It was it recently came out and it's just crazy to see like there's so many parallel thinkings like and it's 
crazy to think like comedy's been going on for so long and there's so there's only so many topics so it's like it's crazy to see like it's just like a rat race to think who can think of a joke here who can think of that like especially with current events and stuff like that but yeah i kind of find that to be the best kind of challenge for an audience member mm -hmm. because hearing you say that means that everybody's got to up their game yeah everybody's got to up their game and everybody's got to come up with that one creative way of looking at something that nobody's looked at. Mm -hmm. I love that as a, a fan or mm -hmm. a spectator because now you're like, cool, the new generation understands that and they're going to work double hard to make things funny. Oh, yeah. Especially like memes and stuff like that. Like I see like younger generations, like their humor and stuff like that. And I'm like, it's, it's crazy to think of like how they can think of that stuff too. You know what I mean? Like they're using their channels. And I don't know, man. Which if you think about it, like memes are almost a new type of comedy genre oh yeah because it's funny mm -hmm. and you can genuinely like i've laughed out loud at a meme because the picture and the wording is so well done mm -hmm. that it's laugh out loud like it's hilarious to you exactly the yeah. same way a stand-up comedian that you know hits you that way when you're just crying laughing it i don't know it's like how cool is that? That like mm. the internet gave us a new way, a new art form. A whole new it, art it form. It seems like a completely different. So is this podcasting? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It it was a non-existent. I mean, it existed, but it was so rare. It was like, you know, James Lipton with Inside the Actor Studio, or Charlie Rose, or Charlie King. Uh, no, was it something King? Mm -hmm. Damn it, I forget his name. Sorry, Mr. King. <laughs> My condolences. He passed away too. But um, was it Martin? No, Larry King. Thank you. Larry, Larry King. King. All right. These were the guys, um, Barbara Walters was also one of them with 60 Minutes, where they would usually do like oh. an hour to an hour and a half. Um, James Lipton would do four hours uh, for Inside the Active Studio, but it would be cut down and condensed into like an hour to an hour and a half kind mm -hmm. of a thing. Um, there's a reason why I always ask that question. It's an homage to James Lipton, my favorite interviewer of all time. His, he would always start the question with, where were you born? Oh, okay. this is the first time I've mentioned it, but yeah, that was it's always been an homage to him. He mm -hmm. he's always been that inspiration for me to pursue something like this. I now loved see, his style. Now to bring it back, like where where's that line of like it's an homage slash are you like I don't want to say stealing it. Oh like that's what I'm trying to say is like where is that line of like it's an homage or it's a tribute or just outright saying it's yours, you know what I mean? I think it becomes an homage or a tribute if it is singularly that one thing mm -hmm. and you are not trying to copy his style completely. Whereas oh. here's the main differentiation between James Lipton and myself is he did it as a professor at the, the Pace Institute of whatever the, the college he was at, it was part of a college program. And he would have, like, um, what are, uh, the cards that we would all use to study in school. What are they called? Uh, index the cards? Index cards. Mm -hmm. He would have blue index cards, this thick, two or three piles of them, of research that was pre-done on the guest. Wow. And that's the big difference between what he does and what I do is my barometer for having someone on is, did you make me laugh? Mm-hmm. And it stops there. Okay. I don't do any research into who you are, what your life is, any of that stuff. I don't know. 
mm-hmm. there's a point to that. It's like, that's what is my attempt at paying tribute to a person that inspired me to do this, but also keeping it authentic to me. Nice. Where I don't want to copy his form of doing, because his research was ridiculously extensive to mm-hmm. the point of like, when you were three years old, you had a red bike that your uncle gave you two weeks before he passed away. Mm-hmm. Go. And you're just like, how do you know? Like yeah. so many of his guests have said, how do you know this? Nobody knows this. Have you seen uh, Nardwar? I was about to say I that. Love Nardwar. Nardwar. I love so Nardwar. That made me want to watch. So it's James Lipton, you said? Yeah. Inside okay. the Actor Studio with James Lipton. He is the unknowing inspiration to this. Okay. Because I saw his interview with Dave Chappelle mm-hmm. post coming back from Africa. Oh, wow. And it will go down as one of my favorite interviews of all time because James didn't do what anyone else in the journalistic world would do is press Chappelle on Africa and nothing but Africa and that deal. Mm-hmm. Rather, he did what he had always done. He never steered off the course. He interviewed the man like anyone else. And when that topic came up, they spoke about it mm-hmm. freely. And it was more genuine than someone in a newsroom saying, so you left. What do you think about all this? Okay. You know, like that bullshit didn't exist. It was about Dave Chappelle, not yes. what he did. And it was Dave Chappelle telling you about all of that stuff when he felt comfortable saying it. Mm, okay. This is Dave Chappelle openly sitting on a stage smoking a cigarette that he had rolled up. Nobody minds this. By the way, the whole thing is done in front of an audience who are all students of this film school mm-hmm. who are their seniors. So wow. the whole premise is like, you're about to graduate. I'm going to bring someone stupid famous. Yeah. Jim Carrey, wow. Dave Chappelle, Robin Williams. Like the name of A-list everybody is never ending like Mm -hmm. martin scorsese's been on it so producers directors actors everybody Mm -hmm. has been on that uh, program for in the in the film arts why Chappelle was there because of the Chappelle show and half-baked and his other filmography right and that whole point is like the audience of the graduating class gets to be there to participate in this four-hour lecture almost which is condensed down into like an hour to an hour and a half series which is called the inside the actor studio okay i I feel like there's that i need to kind of explain it because it's it's when i was growing up very very big and because a lot of people in your age range probably don't even know what i'm talking about right now but the whole point was the graduating class of a film school would be in attendance to some of the greatest thinkers creators doers of that industry Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, they also had a Q&A where the students got to ask a few questions. And some of them were doing their undergraduate degree or doing their master's degree. So, mm-hmm. like, it was different people at the graduating level. So, the questions okay. are always smart and very much so career-oriented. So, that's the kind of thing that was going on is not bullshit questions, but very intense, very important questions about someone's past and how mm. they actually got to the precipice of being who they are. But okay. That research was vital. That's crazy, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so that's my homage to him will always be, I feel like I will always begin my podcast with where were you born okay. as an homage to him. But yeah. I will never want to copy him in any way because of my admiration and love of what he did. Mm-hmm. Like if you showed up with like a giant stack of blue cards, then we'd know it's like. 
Yeah. Okay. Or if there was an audience sitting here, or right. if I was wearing the same type of blazer that he was wearing, that was all. All the clothing was done by Burberry for many, many years. Oh wow! Yeah. Dang. All That's right. That's how all big right, of a James. fan I was. But at the end, I would read the credits of all uh, thing, all costume design done by Burberry, and I was wow. like, "Holy shit!" Like you know, and it was like the pens that were used and all of this stuff. So like, Dang. none of that will ever exist in this. Yeah. Uh, and he was also on a stage with a de- he sat behind a desk, mm. kind of like literally like an inter- you know you'd be interviewed by a professor. Wow, uh, this is meant to be more of a uh, pay homage to the inspiration, but never imitate it. Oh and I gosh. think that's kind of w- we were speaking about you as a comedian, and um, you said like you're kind of reluctant to get into the other older comedians or other comedians because you don't want to ever feel like you're copying someone right yeah has that ever happened to you where you felt like you got off the stage and you're like shit man i sound like this guy that's not what i wanted to do um or is there like a reason for you avoiding because i feel like if i wanted to be the best basketball player i would study everybody else yeah. and see how well they did to try to figure out their moves right but i oh, that's don't true, yeah. feel like this translates the same way yeah, because on that, I feel like with the moves, that's what's cool about sports. It's like, or I guess in anything in general, like it's just going to keep getting better. Like once someone breaks that barrier, it's like you show that it's possible so other people can do it too, you know? Um, but with like that, with, with comedy, with me, I catch myself going like, all right. And Mark Norman does that all the time. And I genuinely, like I cannot remember if I've always said that or if I only say that because I heard Mark do it, you know? And so that, like I try to avoid doing all right you know <laughs> but it's just such a it's just a word it's all right it's such a normal word it's not like i don't know um no i completely understand because i think in your mind you feel like you're saying it the same tone he says it mm-hmm. you, you you feel like you're literally mimicking the man even exactly. though if i probably asked your mom she'd mm-hmm. probably say or your dad should he'd say like he's been saying all right since i can remember right especially Possibly. if it's like a dumb joke i'm always gonna be like all right you know like See? i'm joking you know what i mean so it's just, it's silly things like that. Um, Which, but yeah. it's the same way I wouldn't chop up, uh, you know, where were you born as a copying of someone. I don't mm-hmm. think all right is a copying of someone. If anything, no. that, that belongs to somebody else. Um, the actor, all right, all right, all right. Um, oh, yeah. Owen Wilson. Matthew oh, McConaughey. <laughs> right? Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, 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 right, yeah, right. He's a Texan, too. <laughs> I said Owen Wilson. <laughs> Sorry. Because he played opposite yeah. Owen Wilson, I think, in that in a movie they did together, <gasps> didn't they? Didn't they do... Um, which one? It's the one where... The Wedding Crashers. Weren't they together oh, in that one? Oh, I don't know. The Wedding Owen Crashers. Wilson is in that one for sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. But it's Ma- it's oh not Matthew McConaughey. No, I'm sorry. It's not Matthew McConaughey. It's, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Wow. It's also someone stupid famous. It's like, not... Is it Vince Vaughn? Is he in that movie? It is. It is? I think okay. it's Vince Vaughn and... Um, uh, and Owen Wilson, Owen I think. Owen Wilson, yeah. And I think... Is Owen a Texan? I don't... I don't, I don't know. remember. I don't know. Actually, I know yeah. Matthew is. Matthew McConaughey is yeah. a Texan. I think he's from Austin, I think. I think so. Or like south of it or near it. Like he's got a ranch and stuff. Something like that. Yeah. He actually, he had a, he had a house in Amarillo for a while there and it became a, a tourist attraction. I wouldn't be surprised. He, yeah. he doesn't seem like he wants to live in a big city or something. You know? right. I think he wants to just like be him. That's got to be crazy, man. Like once you reach that kind of level of celebrity, man, that's once you lose that anonymity or whatever, that's got to be wild. Well, I, I think it's not just actors anymore that have reached these feats. I feel like there's people that are musicians for sure, but 
comedians and some podcasters. Yeah. A few notable ones that have reached this stratosphere of no privacy anymore. Nothing. Like everybody knows who you are. Like the world knows who you are. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's far and few in between, but like Chappelle's one of those people, even though he doesn't have a podcast, but like Chappelle is synonymously known everywhere. Right. He is the name of all names in comedy right now. In my opinion, like mm -hmm. you can't deny the genius that is Chappelle. Especially since he's been around for so long. He's been great for so long, too. Like, it's not just, it came out of nowhere. Dude, his joke about the baby selling crack on the street corner <laughs> is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. that's the beauty of a great comedian. They paint the picture so well mm -hmm. that you can't help but feel like you're in some VR simulation standing there going like, that's a baby with the diaper selling crack on a street corner. Mm -hmm. And I can see it because you're telling me so, like I can smell yeah. the shitty street that corner that you're on or something. Exactly. Yeah, like Tom Segura, he has a joke where his dad wakes him up and he talked about like how his dad had his dad breath. And I was like, dang, dude, for real. Like dads uh, do have bad breath sometimes. Like My favorite Tom Segura joke and... Uh, currently, because I'm sure he'll come up with something in the future, mm -hmm. is the one where he's talking about he's walking through Philadelphia where a white guy calls a black guy the N-word, mm -hmm. and then out of a bush, another black guy just appears. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things in the world to me because he's just like, we're all going to die now. <laughs> the way, he's, like, the way he drops he that voice, yeah. <laughs> in that moment, you're in that park in Philly going like, Tom, we're going to die. Tom, we're yeah. going to die. Mm -hmm. It's fucking. It's beautiful, man. It's, it's perfect. Storytelling is, oh, it's, it's crazy, man. Great storytelling is. It's one of those talents. I don't know. It's just, if you can do it, it's beautiful, man. It's, I think if it's a, just like a, a great book, like a novel or mm -hmm. a great movie, a, a comedian that tells a story well, like Bert or Tom or Dave or some of the greats that you know you could think of that are the storyteller comedians. Mm -hmm. you don't even feel like you're in a story right it's just beginning to end this perfect flow you never know when you got on or got off you're, you're just along for that ride mm -hmm. it's beautiful yeah and it's so rare yeah i think that's where what i like about comedy is like when you think you know where something's going and they just they know how to just derail you out of knowing you're like oh right this is a joke you know like i don't know and it, taking you out i don't know i don't know it's cool you get expected that's the whole point of it. I think like, like uh, at least I remember from the comedy class where, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how much of it. Cause like, sorry to the dude that was teaching the class, but if you're teaching a comedy class, that means you just not, you know, those, those that do, those that do, do or those that can do those that cannot teach that is like, uh, one of those things that it's a model to live by. What's say that again. Sorry. Those that can do mm -hmm. those uh, that cannot teach. teach. Oh, okay. Now, uh -huh. I would never throw this into um, physical activities. Mm -hmm. So like coaches, uh, you know, like mixed martial arts or taekwondo. All of these are masters that teach this craft. It, they have to master it first. Right. You know what I mean? Like most coaches on the professional NFL level at some point were players or had some sort of like a, a big athletic thing. Mm -hmm. They weren't some dude just watching TV that was like, I can probably draw some shit on a whiteboard. <laughs> okay, I can do that. Let me get a whiteboard real quick. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like when it comes down to teaching things of literature or entertainment, a lot of that probably is people that just couldn't. 
Right. Maybe some of them did it for the passion of it, like the love of teaching. Mm-hmm. Great. Those do exist. My, you know, two or three percent is what I'm going to chop it up to. Ninety-seven percent. Your dreams didn't self-actualize or manifest. Right. You're settling. And you fell back on a degree that you had and a little bit of experience in a failed career, and you're like, well, I could probably teach. Right. I can tell others how I fucked up. Yeah. Honestly, to tie this all to the saxophone thing, um, the more I got into like college level playing, I realized like I don't think I didn't think I was good enough to actually be like a professional saxophone player. And the only other route would be teaching kids how to do it or like finding gigs here and there. And I realized like, Kill I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Yeah, exactly. So because it doesn't sound like the life that you were trying to go for Mm-mm. and it just sounds like settling. Right. And like you're 26. Yeah. What the hell is the point of settling now? Yeah. Or oh, exactly, for two or three years ago or when you graduated college or whenever that kind of like moment was. Mm-hmm. Why? Exactly, man. Funny enough, I, I literally, I just graduated, like, in December. Like, I, I've been feeling so, I'm in this weird little area where I feel old because all my classmates are, like, 22, 23. Most of my friends are that age, you know? But I'm still, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm 26. You know what I mean? It's, like, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was this, uh, this older comic. And she said, I remember when I was, like, brand new to comedy. I was, like, maybe 10 years in. I was 30 years old, and I was, like, brand new. And she's saying... 10 years in she's 30 like i don't it made me like there's perspective to it all it's just i don't know but you know what that's not isolated i feel like when i listen to podcasts or interviews of other seasoned comedians Mm -hmm. they always say that dude they're like five years into it seven years into it didn't know what the hell was going to happen but just kept pushing and just kept pushing and then finally something happened that kind of lit the fire that is the Brett Kreischer's of the world and the Tom Segura's and whoever else we've mentioned. There's a reason we've name dropped these people. Right. It's because we have admiration for them and we think they're some of the best who have done it or do it now. Oh, yeah. It, it's not a name drop. It's more of, dude, we can't think of anyone else to kind of compare this conversation to. You're right. that person. Yeah, man. It's just crazy. Just, Which is, you know... It, it, you got to put in the work. I know you like 10 years may seem like a lot, but you never know one, how many arenas you're going to be selling out when you're in your 30s. Oh, yeah. Man. And it it's seems just... like all the greats started selling out big venues in their 30s, sometimes right. in their 40s. And it was felt like their late teens and their 20s was just to work shit out. Right, Chappelle exactly, was man. the exception because he started like when he was like 14 or something. Yeah, 13, dude. like he was really young. Yeah. Him and Matt Wright, they both like started in like their teens. And that's, I'm so jealous of those people that start early. Like, I'm jealous of those people that find what they want to do and they know what they want to do, like, right off the bat. With me, like, this comedy thing is like, hey, this is fun. We might be good at it. Let's just give it a shot. You know what I mean? And and we'll just see where it goes. I don't know. Uh, but those big comics, I mean, there's just a lot of work that we don't really see. Like, it feels like they come up out of nowhere, but in reality, they've been hitting mics and they've been doing the road. I don't know how to describe it. I feel like... No, no, no. That makes complete sense. I mean, that's that's the uniqueness of stand-up comedy is that unless you're sitting in that room, you don't see the guy working out that bit that eventually you see on Netflix. Right. But yeah. for sure, for a good eight to ten months, that person was probably on the road working that material out, honing it down into what they felt like 
was that hour worth being a special? Mm -hmm. But prior to them being that level of a comedian, they did open mics like everybody else. Like everybody else, man. They had to put in... uh, I think that's the truth about art is you have to put in the work. Mm -hmm. You want to be a great musician? I don't know of any that didn't struggle forever until they made it. Right. No, exactly, man. Funny enough, I want to... I wish there was like a... Um, I want to find like a book or like pictures of like, for instance, like Maroon 5. They're one of the biggest pop bands now or whatever. But back then they were just some soft rock group. I want to see like a poster of them opening up for a different band. You know what I mean? Like at one point they were the opening act, you know, and it's just like, like Mark Norman, he was the opening act for Amy Schumer. And now he's, you know, headlining stuff. So it's cool to see that progress. I love seeing the steps that people take for like where they are now, you know? I th- Yeah. And uh, to that point, you mentioned Tony Hinchcliffe. Yeah. This is why... Kill Tony is one of the f- coolest things that actually exists. Right. Because you get to see, and shout out to Chandler Valencia for being on Kill Tony. That's kind of how all of this happened. I saw him on that Kill Tony episode, mm-hmm. and then I saw him live once, and I was like, dude, you're funny. Nice. Dude, you're, like, you're hilarious. Yeah, Chandler was my first, like, comedy friend. Him and I, we, we both did it in Denton. So, sorry, not to cut you off. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, but to go to get back to the whole thing of, like, I love the fact that that t- Kill Tony thing exists. Mm-hmm. because it allows us to see the beginnings of the spark. You know, like a mm-hmm. lot of the people that get up there that do that one minute, 95% don't get anybody to laugh. Right. But within that 95%, there's like 20% that there's sparks of stuff that's happening. And you can tell because the way the interview goes. Mm-hmm. And especially if there's other comedians on that stage, they'll try to give you hints of like, you were going this way, go a little bit this way. It'll probably be funnier and like stuff like that. And this is the stuff you don't genuinely get to see. It's a minute. Right. Most people on an open mic get a minute mm-hmm. and you got to try to make a bunch of people in a room that you've never met before laugh. Right. This is like an, it kind of gives you an inside look at this is the amount of work it takes to actually become a comedian. Dude, right. Like you have to be in front of a group of people that you've never met night in, night out. Until somebody actually laughs. Right. And then you cling to that shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you did. Right. And you're like, all right, I can probably get two people to laugh. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of how it starts is like you go from one to two to four. Like yeah. it compounds at some point and you're like, holy shit, I sold out in the arena. Hopefully, man. No, yeah. that's what's, I remember, man, I remember the first time I was at the open mic. I got one laugh, but I remember I got one guy like looking at me like, yeah. Like, <laughs> like cringy? he was like all right like you know and like it was one of those where his face sticks with me so much and like but even then it's like that's part of it like it's um i think that's supposed to exist though like oh yeah you should have those embedded in the back of your brain oh yeah until so much good stuff comes mm-hmm. that you can't even think of it anymore oh, but you, you should keep it there until you can Replace it with enough stacks of cool memories right. that that doesn't even come on your radar. Yeah. But like, there's, that's the thing. I am, um, the cockiness of some people. Oh yeah. Is their biggest demise. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it on the stage. Like the incest dude. What are you doing, bro? You like he leaned heavier into that. Was it was it the first guy or was it? The, I, I won't say because oh, okay, you know okay. somebody can go back and try to figure it out. Even yeah, though right. like nobody recorded that shit. Right. But, like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. You dug deeper and it was crowd work that you were doing so okay. you made it now 20 times worse by okay. doing crowd work yeah 
I remember now. Like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. You got the cringe factor right by the sentence. Why'd you keep going? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It had one big pop, and I think he, he just kept, he kept going down and down and down. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, it's just exactly so stuff like that. I think Kill Tony is one of those, like, crazy experiences because, like, uh, the crowd, they want you to bomb. Yeah. Like, they, Have you seen when he asks, like, do you, do you, want, oh, do you yeah. guys like it when they do great? Do you oh, like it dude. when they do bad and they, everybody's just yelling? Yeah, I was a huge Kill Tony fan. That's how I know about Ryan Joseph and um, and uh, William Montgomery. So, Ryan Joseph, I actually got to see him live at Addison, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And the dark humor that he was doing was just right up my alley. Dude, yeah. I was just like, yes, this yeah, is awesome. Man. This is so cool. <laughs> and it was funny because I was with a group of people and... None of them were laughing. No, they weren't into it. No, they Dang. weren't. They weren't into it. But I was just crying, bawling my eyes out. Yeah. But that's the other problem that I have is I'm so desensitized to this mm-hmm. that I'll when I'm chilling with the comedians and they're laughing, I'm genuinely laughing with them. Right. Otherwise, I'm just not laughing because you're not hitting it. It's funny, but right. it's like it's funny for everybody else. Like, yeah. I think this is like, why that list joke was so funny to me because I was like, mm-hmm. it made me laugh. I'm like, it's hard to make me laugh. Mm-hmm. I, it, I, I don't know what it is. It's just, it's hard. Okay. You have to be good to make me laugh. It, oh, and yeah. I, not to be, I don't even think that's being like cocky or anything like that. It's just, sorry, dude. It's like doing. You're a hard laugh. It's okay. If you drink alcohol every day for 30 years, you're probably going to have a higher tolerance than others. Right. That's me with comedy. I don't know what it is. It's just like, it takes a lot of work to make me laugh. No, and that makes sense. And it's not like you're just sitting there thinking like it's not funny. Like I've heard Joe Liz talk about this with like, with Conan, to where like comedians and like people will like listen to a joke and be like, oh, that's funny, but they won't laugh. It's like that's a great joke, but they won't laugh about it because it's just like they recognize it. Does that make any sense to you? It or? makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, there's okay. there's uh, notebooks that nobody will ever see of notes that I've written about the comedians that I've invited onto my podcast, mm-hmm. and there's a ton of places where it says like one word of the joke that he or she did mm-hmm. and next to it says funny yeah the ones where it's just the word itself and nothing next to it it's because i was crying laughing oh, wow. and i didn't yeah. have a reason to write it down that nice. i was funny if i put this here that means it's hilarious mm-hmm. and like i said those notebooks nobody will ever see i will burn those before i let a comedian <laughs> see them um no, but cool, that's man. my process that's and when i'm sitting there I, I will literally write notes down and unfortunately it's happened multiple occasions where the first few jokes are awesome and I really get into the comedian and mm. then they completely lose me. Oh, okay. They just complete. And it's not just me that they lose. And it's obvious that the crowd is gone too. Yeah. Right. So like I'll scratch the name off and I'll just like, nope. Dang. Some of them have been huge. Mm. And I just been like, sorry, dude, you didn't make me laugh. Or ma'am, you didn't make me laugh. It happens, man. It, that's it. I, the only way this becomes authentic or genuine in any way is that like, did I find you funny? If I didn't, why are you here? Mm-hmm. I can't talk to you for two or three hours about your life and why I'm interested if you're not funny. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, again, thank you for having me. That's, I appreciate it. I hope I'm doing okay so far. No, 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 oh, yeah. dude, this is the, we're just talking. That's all cool. it is. It's just we're having a chat together, and the whole point is like figuring out for someone else that might be interested in going up for the first time to know that, hey, bro, you're going to suck. Dude, oh, but yeah. But that's the fun. Yeah, oh yeah. Because when you're on the other side of it, 10 months into it, two years into it, four years into it, you can sit down with someone and laugh about the guy that gave you the cringy look. Right, exactly. Because you've worked 
so much. You've you've added so many layers to it at this point. Mm-hmm. That's bombing, the fun. Exactly, man. I was thinking about this on the way here. Like, bombing in the moment sucks, dude. It hurts. You know what I mean? Like, you hate yourself for a little bit. You kind of question why you're doing it. But then, like, when you go to your friends or you're, like, telling your family or something, like, oh, dude, I ate a dick on stage last night. They, like, they laugh about it. It's, like, because it's funny. Like, even if it's, like, bad, even if you get a heckler, it's, like, you have a story to tell. It just really depends on how you look at it after that, you know? Well, I'm, I think that you've kind of got the best perspective of it, of being able to take what would have been cringy 10 months ago to be, like, that was fucking hilarious. Dude. Yeah, that guy's face was honestly <laughs> so funny. Just like the uh, way you even did it. For yeah. those that will listen to this, like you did the face and I was just sitting there like, ah, okay, I, I know exactly <laughs> what he's talking about. I just know he was cringing hard. His teeth were showing. Oh, and you, you never know where that guy is coming from. Yeah. It's yeah, like, know. dude, um, and I even told, <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's even part of the, the episode I did with Cheyenne because um, mm-hmm. I met him. I got to see Ari Shafir mm-hmm. um, at Addison. Oh, really? Yeah, dude. It was an amazing show. Like, God, Ari's right up my alley. And it was right after I saw his special Jew. Mm-hmm. So, for some reason, I thought he was kind of like touring with that special still. Mm-hmm. The man did over an hour of completely new stuff. And it's killer stuff, I'm guessing. He murdered. God, dude, dude, he That's why they're pros, man. King murdered. And... It wasn't him working out new material. It was new material that he had already worked out somewhere else. And, like, it was the Friday night or the Saturday night show. Like, the sold-out show. Like, you know mm-hmm. he had kind of, like, figured out all the little picadillos and knew what to do with it. Yeah. Even though it seemed like it was just him chilling on the stage talking to you about his dog and stuff. But, like, mm-hmm. amazing. Exactly. The reason I bring it up is, and I talked about it, there was a group sitting to my left. And there was this one group person won't even mention gender just to kind of keep the anonymity all the way that had their arms crossed and refused to laugh the whole time the whole time oh my god yeah whereas not just me laughing i'm talking about every single person at that club is crying laughing like Mm -hmm. ari's a he's not some random dude he's an He's a seasoned vet. He knows how to kill. Right. We all know this. Right. But And like, I'm just sitting there going like, damn, you went all out of your way to come here just not to laugh. Just stay home. That's what I was thinking. Why? Why? Why'd you come then? You know? And the shitty thing is like that person sitting in a group of six or eight people, the rest of them are laughing and having a great time. I feel sorry for the rest of your people that are there because oh. they have to deal with your jackass on the way right home because you're going to be sitting there going like and like all of the topics that you can find to pick apart because you missed the entire point of comedy mm-hmm. it's he talks about all this bullshit to bring light to it so right. people can actually understand all the crap that exists in the world not for you to think that he's hard-pressed making just fun of it when right. what are you going to realize that's what comedy is like telling you the bullshit of the world and telling you to look at it mm-hmm. now I hate to like tie this all into like myself, but I, there's actually that I wanted to it's talk kind of to you the point. about. So, like with that, for instance, like people attack com- like comics a lot of like being like racist or sexist, you know, or something like that because they make a joke about certain topics. But in reality, just because they're like talking about that topic doesn't make them um, a racist, you know, or anything like that. So to like 
to tie it all in, like I have a joke where I mentioned George Floyd and sure. at the show on Wednesday, one of my friends was in the crowd and he heard the table behind and go, oh, this racist motherfucker, you know, like, and in reality, it's like, I'm, so tell me the joke. Um, I pretty much you just don't tie, I, I tie like politics and business together. Like I say, like, um, oh, what was it like pro-choice car insurance? Don't let an accident ruin your life. And then I say like McDonald's. You're keeping it. I, I could bring it in politics and business together, and then I say you've heard of the George Foreman grill. Get ready for the George Floyd inhaler. It's there for you when you can't breathe. And I'm because that whole thing is he was he couldn't breathe, and so I don't see the the racism in it. I see you bringing light to a tragic event, right? And that's just more and of, just trying to find the funny in it. Like right. cool, okay, that's the entire point of it. Like we all understand that this tragic thing happened. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what side of this argument politically you fall under. A human life is gone. Right. There's a tragedy. It's done right there. Mm-hmm. What the circumstances are and underlying the police problem or this problem, none of that actually matters. Right. Like, Honest to saying... God, the person died. Let's right. start with that mm-hmm. as your baseline of a tragedy occurring. Cool. It's been two years now? Something like that, yeah. It's been a minute. Yeah. At some point... We need to start making fun of it to bring light to all of the injustice that occurred, including the person losing their life because of certain circumstances. Right. A good comedian, all of us that are kind of like the general masses, will find the funny and relate to you and go down this journey with you of the story that you're telling or the jokes that you're telling because we can all relate to it in some way. Mm, And I feel like... I think what we were talking about is like when you're too far left, too far right, and you kind of like politicize comedy or try to kind of uh, pander to the mob on either side, you lose everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think you were tying it in with Mark and the way he does it is kind of like right in the middle. You, you can touch upon the race and you can say what everybody's thinking mm-hmm. and it's really funny. I think that's kind of like where we were trying to... F- right well, that's what we were really talking about yeah where he talks about how like he he likes that people can't tell whether he's left or right and i think that's like that's perfect yeah i i never thought about it that way until you mentioned it but yeah if i think about mark norman i can't tell because he doesn't really bring it up that much yeah. in you know very definitive way whereas shane gillis you know where he stands right or, or uh or ari shafir you you know where he stands like mm-hmm. There's certain things that these men have spoken about that for sure kind of doesn't mean that they're Democrat or Republican, but just kind of means like they're somewhere in the middle, you know, yeah. like they're, they're generally just fine. Just leave everybody alone kind of people. Exactly. They just want to, they're just watching the world. Honestly, they're just looking for the next joke. I feel like, I which is, I cool. feel like that's the best way to be a comedian is mm-hmm. don't overly attach yourself to ideologies. Cause at the end of the day, you're supposed to make fun of all of them. Cause they're so exactly. stupid anyways. Exactly. But, kind of where you know you're supposed to tell the people like hey you're being morons hello <laughs> stop mm-hmm. it you know like here's what you're doing wrong yeah i um, feel like that's what comedy is or it should be i think yeah honestly man like politics honestly to me like they're they're kind of annoying like i i had a, uh, an ex-girlfriend who was very 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 left like left left and because of her that's where i kind of got some of my political views like i kind of learned from what she would tell me but after we broke up it was like right back to just kind of tuning out when it came to politics and just kind of seeing what they were saying like i don't know i just it's weird 
yeah. I think politics is one of those touchy subjects mm-hmm. and a significant other can always influence it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But a strong relationship, there's a reason she's your ex. A right. strong relationship will always find both sides of the argument and kind of find a happy medium. Like right. You don't have to agree on everything as a couple, but respect each other's thoughts. Right. Something yeah. to that extent. Um, and yeah. if someone's just trying to influence you too much or it's not going to work at right. some point, subconsciously you're like, uh, I'm out. I'm yeah, good. You exactly. know, how about I go back to being normal? I, I never agreed with all this crazy shit anyways. Mm-hmm. The worst thing is like, they don't agree with it either. They're just yelling the loudest. <laughs> yeah. But if you sit him down and be like, why are you yelling about this so much? Mm-hmm. Because we're being da-da-da. And you're like, show me an example, please. And yeah. they kind of lock up. Yeah. doesn't matter what side you look at. I swear, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You put both of them in a room, they're the exact same person fighting about just a different topic. Just something. One person just has a different out- outlook and a way of dressing. The other person has a different outlook and a different way of dressing. At the end of the day, the bullshit arguments are inter- interchangeable. Mm-hmm. And the rest of us, I think the vast majority of us sit there going like, can you guys just shut the fuck up? We're <laughs> tired of you yelling at each other. I'm trying to listen to this comedy show. man. What's yeah, like <laughs> I don't really care about this or that that exactly, much. And I guess yeah. at some point that's the comedian's job is to stand mm-hmm. in front of everybody and be like, hey, you're being idiots. Right. Like, stop it. Yeah. I'm, And that was the thing that pissed me off about like, transphobia and that whole thing of like if you guys wanted acceptance you were supposed to be made fun of because uh, right. you know why all of us get made fun of yeah every single one of us that is part of society today understands this unwritten rule of someone needs to make fun of us right because that normalizes us it, exactly we are part of the society if people make christianity gets made fun of uh Muslim faith a little bit, you know, there's obviously limitations to it because of their faith, but Judaism, I mean, there's an entire special called Jew by Ari Shafir. Like there's an entire, and there's countless other comedians that have made fun of that. Political people get made fun of all the time, like Democrats and Republicans. Are you kidding me? Name a president that hasn't been berated on the stage by somebody. It doesn't exist. Yeah. But that's how you normalize shit. Exactly. It's if I can't make fun of you, that makes you superior to everyone. Nobody likes that shit. This is yeah. America. I almost got scared. I almost said China, but I was like, Whoa. I can't make fun of their dictator or nothing. You can. In this country, you're free to make fun of anyone you want. That's mm-hmm. what the fucking Constitution gave you. Yeah. All freedom of speech. Yeah, because at crazy, the end man. of the day, it's not inciting violence or hate to say a leader of a country is an idiot right. or whatever the joke is. That's fine. Exactly. Yeah, when, when did we become an? In, why did we do this to ourselves? Is a better question. We didn't become this way. We did this to ourselves. Let's just blame COVID. No, this started <laughs> way before COVID started. <laughs> I man, know, I like, was making a joke. I yeah. I I wish it was just a COVID thing. Mm-hmm. COVID just brought it out to the surface. You know what it was, man? It was goddamn vaccines. No, Probably. <laughs> they softened us up. I got the damn vaccine because I was part of the essential worker bullshit in California and wanted to kind of, had to continue. Oh, yeah. I wanted to go to a concert. I was like, all right, I don't mind getting a vaccine. It's fine. But was it the right or wrong idea? I have no idea. Was it the wrong or right choice? I have no idea. I'm just looking forward to when we're like old and like one of those like commercials comes on. I'm just looking forward to being old. 
Oh yeah. Honestly, yeah, hopefully yeah. that happens. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, but when like you see those commercials and they're like, if you were a loved one got vaccinated when you were in 2020, like uh, you may be entitled to, oh, you know, like all I, those. I, I know what you're talking about. Those mesothelioma commercials exactly. that always came on. There was that one guy that was just extra depressed mm-hmm. with that shitty six dollar haircut, going like, "If you were a loved one was a victim of mesothelioma, <laughs> please call entitled. for this pamphlet and free <laughs> informational guy." And you're exactly. like, "Shoot me now! I don't even exactly. know what this is, but I hope I don't ever get it." <laughs> Exactly, man. We're going to get entitled to some compensation in the future. Don't worry. Oh, it's funny. I hope that doesn't happen. I honestly hope that doesn't happen. But I feel like (laughs) you're right, dude. Every week, I feel like a new article comes out that says, we fucked up. Sorry about that. Dude. And then then nobody talks about it. They just print one article in a newspaper somewhere that goes like, by the way, the mask didn't do anything. Exactly, man. I've been getting annoyed with like the world rate like lately because like one moment something's healthy the next moment you're like they, they say actually that's not as healthy as we thought it was or it turns out wine isn't all that great for you or you know it's like my anything. wife sends me this shit on instagram all the time it's like some doctor i've never heard about going like you can't eat bananas anymore because you'll die in two weeks you're like why exactly, what happened all like, my life of eating bananas no problem now i can't have a banana exactly man but they don't explain exactly what's going on they just kind of like and just say it's not healthy they're like studies may have shown that 14 people may have had an adverse effect while eating a banana and <laughs> you're like what else happened they were also on a roller coaster you're like come on dude talk about that please exactly, you know what i mean man. like they were eating the stem i'm sorry but i will i refuse and i don't care to all of the instagram whatever the hell you are influencing i will never be influenced by anyone mm. on the internet right sorry dude or ma'am, I mm-hmm. would rather go speak to my nutritionist, right. speak to my whatever physician. And if I seriously don't like what that person has to say, I'll find another physician. Okay. The internet is not my doctor. Exactly. Nor should it ever be. Because guess what? Two months ago, some sort of oil was the best oil in the world. Now it's cancer. <laughs> who was right? Exactly. There's Tell many me who's sources, right. Man. You know what I mean? Like yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. For almost all of my entire life when I was in high school, that stupid pyramid of what you're supposed to eat and not eat Mm -hmm. had meat in the section of don't eat. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Like, don't eat a lot. And then bread was in there somewhere too, right? Bread was right at the bottom with cereal and shit, dude. Exactly. Then you get older and they're like, by the way, do you Frosty want Frosty Flakes was sitting right there at the like the best things that your foundation of health and all this man. crap. Mm-hmm. Fruit was in there somewhere. Yeah. Vegetables were kind of in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But that bullshit number changed every single year I was in school. It was exactly, four fruits, man. seven fruits, two fruits, three vegetables. It's like, make up your fucking mind. Exactly. That's Granted, it, they put sugar at the very top of like, don't eat candy and blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, cool. Fine. Right. That's still fair. But nothing else was. Everything else was bullshit. Carbs have become the staple of death in America yeah, exactly. for the last 50 years. Exactly, man. That's it's, it's caused more death than red meat will ever, ever do. Mm-hmm. Exactly, So, like, man. whatever. Th- this is the reason. It's like, if you were a child that grew up here and went to school here, you got to have a barometer of bullshit because none of the stuff they told you while you were there is still true today. Right. Yeah. Why are we like wholeheartedly accepting everything? What the fuck happened to us as a society? That's what I'm saying, man. I've been getting tell me like somebody's got to explain this to me exactly. somewhere. It, it's just one of those things where there's just sometimes there's just not a right answer, and sometimes it's just enjoy life, man. Eat that sixth bunless wing. Who cares, man? Because the problem is like, watch, 
we have gluten allergies now. Right. That all comes from bread and shit. Right. How did that happen? You mean you made everybody eat that stuff so much until we started having autoimmunes that don't allow us to eat it anymore? Exactly. Because we were never meant to. Right. What is that? Uh, adaptation, I guess, or I guess would be ad- adapting to it, but. But a ton of people have not adapted to eating these ultra-processed grains and weeds Mm. and all this other shit. Exactly, man. And I feel like in like another 20 or 30 years when I'm in my 50s or 60s and you're in your 40s or 50s, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, by the way, all that soy you guys kept eating was not good for you either. Sorry, (laughs) like seven generations worth of death is going to happen. We apologize. Yeah. Fuck it. Try this new thing now. Yeah, even milk. Milk apparently isn't all that good for you. You should go for almond milk. Dude. It's like, come on, bro. It's like, nothing's good for you, apparently. That's why Lewis Black is up there. Is he talking about that? One of my favorite bits this man has ever done is mm-hmm. when he goes down, and he's he did it way before anybody else ever did, mm-hmm. about all the different milks. Yeah. And he goes into this tirade of funny about how much he hates the fact that all these bullshit milks are next to his moo cow fuck milk and he says it just like that i have real moo cow fuck milk next to all and then he goes into like show me the nipple on this thing like i can't do it justice in any way because if you've ever heard lewis black he is very unique in his style of comedy like he's almost pissed at you like he sounds angry but it's so fucking funny he's ranting right did he didn't he just come out with something he did and i watched it and it was really funny um uh i think it was a little bit dated when it came out because it was talking a lot more about the vaccine and stuff on the second half of the special. Oh, okay. So I feel like he may have been like shooting it tail end of 2022 or middle of 2022 where it was really relevant the whole vaccine thing and get it, don't get it. Mm-hmm. Now just some of it didn't make sense. Okay. The first part of it was really funny, really funny stuff. It was Lewis Black the way he's always been. Mm-hmm. Second half kind of a little bit of... But again, this is biased because I have my own problems with this whole COVID vaccine or COVID in itself. So take it for a grain of salt. Right. That makes sense. But the comedy special he did where he talked about the moo cow fuck milk Mm -hmm. will will go down as one of my favorite things he's ever done. Like it was just ridiculously funny. And it's like a whole full thing that he does about the milks and all of this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Give yourself the treat when you get into the mood for it because it's really that good. Oh, well, man. Yeah. Exactly. But it's just, well, it's just annoying sometimes, bro. I think knowledge, the more we get to know stuff, like now that we actually know what calories are and what ADHD is, and the more we get to know, like, I don't know. It's just. You know what's wonderfully disturbing about all of this shit? What's that? It's just they've added more categories of stuff. Yeah. I genuinely don't believe 80% of the stuff that they've put into the store shelves that are supposed to be cage-free, organic, and all these other words are mm-hmm. actually that way. Yeah, apparently organic. I is genuinely don't believe any of this shit. Yeah, just labels. Because guess what? Strawberries have had no taste for the last 10 years in this country, regardless of when I buy them, where I buy them, if it's a farm. They don't have taste at all. Mm-hmm. I go to across the country to somewhere else. Hell, I'll go down to Mexico. They taste better. Dude, yeah. Tell me I'm wrong. No, yeah. They have flavor to them. Like a strawberry when I was a kid, I remember what a strawberry tasted like. Mm -hmm. No, a thousand percent. I agree with you. When I have gone to Mexico, it's like over there, the food is genuinely better. Like it's weird. Like I don't know how to describe it. It just tastes better. I've been to Mexico City with my wife and it was probably one of the best dining experiences we've ever had. The cuisine Mm -hmm. was just 
on a different level. So like if you can go to Mexico City, it's cheap, like stupid cheap right. compared to like here because of the currency exchange. Mm -hmm. But you're like, you can go to Nobu and like these top end restaurants, but you'll get way better service than you'll ever get in oh, yeah, America. Dude. There's something different about the way they do stuff there. Mm -hmm. And it's not, and I'm mentioning Mexico City specifically because it's not like an American run Cancun resort. No, this is like Mexican stuff right. in Mexico City run by Mexican owners and operators. And yes, some of them are like big multi conglomerates like Nobu, but there's a ton of these beautiful restaurants that exist next door to that that are better. Oh, yeah. That are done by like some local guy you've never heard of. For sure, man. That's just the beauty like of cultures and stuff like that. But yeah, to go back together, to that, the whole thing of like, Sorry, I'm not going to believe you because you took the taste away from fruit, goddammit. Yeah. There is a specific taste to a banana that is permanently implanted in my brain that mm. I will never get back because <laughs> that type of banana does not exist. We yeah. literally used so much GMO mutations right. that that crop of banana just does not exist anymore. Yeah, dude. There's a specific the... taste I can't get back and it, it gnaws at me exactly, every time man. I eat a banana. You're chasing the dragon. Yeah. I, like The I, dragon fruit. It's so stupid, though. Like, why'd you guys ruin it? It's the same with um, uh, Tic Tacs. Uh, the U.S., they can say that Tic Tacs are sugar-free uh, because of how small they are. But in reality, they're loaded with sugar. Like, it's just, it's just a label. It's just a little gimmick. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Like, there's loopholes for everything. So there was this documentary I watched that was talking about the sugar trade mm -hmm. and how Coca-Cola dominates the sugar industry they're like the number one buyer of sugar wow. across the globe mm -hmm. it's kind of insane to the point where like this documentary goes into what most of us don't understand is like the coca-cola co corporation has a much larger conglomerate that owns it mm -hmm. which also owns all of the sugar fields in all of these places and also owns all of like the coffee Mm -hmm. that comes from tea or something so i think the caffeine that they get from to coke comes from the decaffeinated tea because oh, wow. all when they decaffeinate tea the actual coffee ac or the caffeine extract still remains so they buy this shit and they put it into coke and like coke itself doesn't actually have real sugar in it anymore like mm. it's this insane documentary like if, i forget the name of it but it breaks down to the point where you're terrified of the shit that's in there because almost none of it comes from an organic source anymore. Really? Yeah, like they just lab. They take sugar and they will just refine it and extract everything from it and then they'll sell the rest of it to everybody else for like actual sugar cane and blah, blah, blah. But like what's in there is just shit. Mm -hmm. And apparently there's like copyrights and patents and things that they own in relationship to coffee and sugar and so like you can't even mess with it wow it's this it's whenever i see something like that it almost always takes me back to the same thing there is no good in this goddamn world <laughs> i'm sorry man like no I, it, it takes dude, like, a real. coke yeah exactly. it's filled with so much chemicals and shit that it's yeah, no longer man. pure sugar because they want to control the sugar trade throughout the world exactly you're just like going like what the fuck exactly man and then there's like they also buy and I could be wrong about this part, but like I, I, f I heard that they buy pure cocaine leaves, mm -hmm. purified into pure cocaine. There's an extract they take from that that still goes into Coca-Cola, which has nothing to do with like the cocaine derivative that gets you fucked up. Right. But that liquid cocaine is like a whole side business that they sell to uh, 
hospitals and stuff because that's actually used. Oh, Liquid okay. cocaine is actually used in a hospital setting because, uh, and a friend of mine told me this, he was a nurse practitioner in the ER. He said, it'll numb you quicker than anything else that we have. Really? Liquid cocaine will literally, like somebody comes in with a gunshot wound, just like excruciating pain, like a dab of that shit will just completely numb them out until Jesus. medication can intravenously go through. Yeah. Wow. I don't know how much of this is true. I'm basing it off of somebody else's, you know, hearsay. Yeah. But they would know more than I do. Who knows? I, if you look at any major humongous corporation, the sheer amount of smaller businesses that they own that you've never heard of that just take all the byproduct of what they do and resell it to others is insane. Like, did you know McDonald's buys the largest supply of lettuce, tomato, uh, chickens, eggs? and beef in the world really mcdonald's all of that all of that jesus uh -uh. and it's only a specific type of tomato a specific yeah. type of potato that they buy mm -hmm. and all of this stuff is all controlled by them like the price is always controlled by them because the sheer quantity that they buy right is so big that they control and dominate the market have you ever thought about like how much of stuff we have here like do you know how many mcdonald's there are like in Dallas alone, right? And even then, they have hundreds of thousands of potatoes. Now, there's a lot more cities in Texas. Yeah. And it's like, there's McDonald's everywhere. Like, that's so many potatoes. Like, I don't know. It's crazy to think about how many of everything we have. You know what I mean? So, McDonald's thought about that, too. Mm -hmm. So, they started buying up farmland. Uh -huh. So, they own a bunch of these, um, like, these humongous uh, industrial farming systems exactly for this reason so nobody ever asks the question of like how the hell do we supply all this they're like no yeah. we got you covered it's crazy don't worry dude. about it keep opening mcdonald's we'll take care of the rest oh my gosh that's just that's just so much and i mean they own so much of it they end up selling a ton of it to other fast food joints and other restaurants like it's a complete side business of mcdonald's mm -hmm. besides them being the biggest real estate owner in the world oh wow which most people don't know is that all of the properties that a McDonald's franchise sits on, the McDonald's corporation owns the land. Oh, wow. You as a franchisee are leasing it from them. From but them. the land is owned. And if you look at a McDonald's, where are they always located? The best and busiest spots. Mm -hmm. Right by a freeway entrance exit. Right by a busy school. Right by oh, wow. I never thought a library, that. a park. Like They're always on street corners. They're always on the the busiest intersections. Mm -hmm. So they have the most valuable land. It's crazy, man. It's nuts, right? If you think about it, this, who thinks McDonald's is a bigger real estate company than it is a burger joint? Oh, dang. No shit, right? Oh, wow. I didn't even, wow. I didn't even put that together. Dang, dude. And it's already such a powerhouse of a burger joint, if not the powerhouse. I think it, it the McDonald's is the number one. Like, if you think of a hamburger, McDonald's everywhere in the world mm -hmm. everywhere it, they exist it's crazy man good luck with the you know water burgers mainly texas kind of because they don't have them in the west or the east coast i've never right. seen it in and out is very slowly branching out you got burger king everywhere but nobody likes burger king to be honest yeah no and their issues their fries suck their fries are terrible their fries is the worst burger king, what's going on world, bro? dude Come like on, if they man. had better fries the whopper is a decent burger Oh, yeah. I like it more than I like a Big Mac. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Just my, my opinion. Their chicken fries are good, too. Yes. Yeah. Y'all got Barbie potential sauce. Burger King. Come on, man. <laughs> Do like a, you know, a facelift like Domino's did like five years ago or 10 years oh, ago. Yeah. Now Domino's is pretty decent food. With them garlic bread and the garlic uh, crust and stuff. 
Man. I don't know, man. Like, so I got you. Though. I think I feel like we're just ranting about different fast food joints, but it all comes <laughs> back to yeah. the whole idea of um, things are so big and there's so many moving parts to it that you really don't know until you explore it. Mm-hmm. But comedy is just not that. Right. Comedy is very specific. There oh, are yeah. no big moving parts. There isn't some multinational that owns all the comedy clubs. It's all owned by individual owners. Right. There's no such thing as, you know, that one ivory tower of an ad agency or a management company for stand-up comedians. No, there's a bunch of them. That's what I was trying to, I was trying to fuse my degree with comedy. I was trying to see if the improv, if they had like a corporate thing, maybe I can do marketing for them or like, like if I can tie that together somehow, but exactly like you said, it's all just individual. I think mm-hmm. the best marketing idea that I can think of for someone like you, because you're exposed to so many of your friends that are comedians, mm-hmm. start doing their social media stuff. If you uh, can yeah. grow their audiences and things like that, that's an, in, that is the business right now. See, I, w- I want to build their websites. I think that yep. would be like, give me your tour dates. I'll give me some pictures. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I think that'd be cool. The problem is, is they can't afford you. So it's, it's a lot more. Than you know it more than uh, most because 10 months into it, nobody's paying you to get up on that stage yet. And no. if they are, it's not much. Mm-mm. Oh yeah, man. I'm going to, but I mean, you do get exposure to some of like the more seasoned people while you're there. So maybe like start doing it for a couple of buddies for free and then have a portfolio show to oh yeah, someone that has like, like a Ryan Joseph that has 20, 30,000 followers that'll be able to possibly pay you for that type of a service. That's true. And then that can spring load you. And, Cause like, it's the whole thing of, you know, you got to crawl before you walk, before you run. Right. Exactly. All of us have to do it. You know, like yeah. 30 people may see this, but God knows what happens in two years. Yeah, exactly, man. We were talking about the whole journey, you know what I mean? And like, shit, this podcast could be like part of the journey for other comics. You know what I mean? It's like, you're going to watch them on the come up and you're going to see that they were on this podcast before they stood up. And so it's like, I hope that's the plan is like, hey, dude, come on here. Cause you know, nobody knows me. Nobody knows you yet. Let's have some mm-hmm. fun together and kind of like get you comfortable with the next one. Exactly. Get yeah, you more man. comfortable with like a bigger name that you might be, you know, wanting to be on, but you'll be calm and relaxed. Cause you're like, Oh, I know what a sound check looks like. I know that cameras sometimes can be finicky and like, whatever, just chill. Mm-hmm. This is what it's supposed to be. Yeah. This is cool. Honestly, man, this is like my first one-on-one podcast. I was very, uh, I was nervous, but I think you did super, super well. Cool. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> cool. But on that note, I think I had an absolute blast talking to you. I don't think mm-hmm. I had an absolute blast talking to you. We didn't touch upon much about your life. I know there's a lot more that we can get into on a future podcast. Yeah. Um, and I'm super excited to see what you, like. I think there's like a crew of you guys that, are really exciting in Dallas because you guys are just in it like a year, a little less. And mm-hmm. Super excited to see what's going to happen. Like, I can't wait for a year from now to kind of have a sit down with you and be like, so what's up? You yeah, know, wh- what you been up to, man? Yeah, seriously. No, and big, big thank you for having me. Seriously, this is really cool. It was a and pleasure. Yeah, dude. And same with you, man. I can't wait to see the growth on this thing and just eventually we're going to see the, the pictures on the wall and all that fun stuff. But I'm excited, man. This is really cool. So if you've got anything you want to talk about that like people see you or is there a stage or something that you've got set up in a couple of weeks if not at least give me your ig stuff so people know where to find you okay yeah no uh no shows coming up yet but if you're out there and you want to show you want me on a show please i'm open to work for anything and for free uh my instagram is nathan revis 07 uh give me a follow give me a watch it's real fun stuff 
I'm excited to see where this all goes, man. I'm all, I'm all for it. I yeah, love dude. it. So, Nathan Rivas seven on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, really funny guy. He's in the Dallas area, working what hyenas, working Addison, Dallas Comedy Club, whatever open mics are going on. So whatever mics, whatever shows will have me. Catch him, and when he does the list joke, and you find the funny that I found, leave a comment so he knows. Hell yeah! But thank you guys for listening. Yeah. Nathan, thank you again. Everybody, thank you for listening. This was an awesome conversation. Hope to do it again. Awesome. Me too, man. Thank Thank you. you.